0: The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena,
1: whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitruvian Man podcast. Today, I am joined by the lovely Peyton Elroy. Peyton is a young entrepreneur, businesswoman, health and beauty consultant, who is well-versed in holistic health and nutrition, as well as spiritual well-being. Peyton is a role model to thousands of young women across her social platforms and shares a positive and empowering message. Peyton is both well-spoken and deep-thinking, and I anticipate a wonderful conversation today touching on anything from nutrition to religion to man and woman. Peyton, welcome to the show.
0: Good morning. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. Wow, that's that's a nice intro. <laughs> <laughs> I I need to be introduced. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think uh, like we were just saying, like you're the first female guest of the podcast. So a special someone. Certainly, um, I think you share a really unique message and I'm excited for our conversation just to like share the moment together, but also to be able to share that conversation more broadly. I know we touched or we talked when we connected for the first time. I came across your content following similar creators online and also just happened to see your podcast with a couple of your girlfriends, um, -hmm. talking about, you know, a recent experience that you're going through and we can touch more directly on that. Um, but I was just really floored by the level of vulnerability. Ultimately, I think like when people go through those kind of transitions with, you know, speaking of breakup, we don't have to like dance around it too much, but like, yeah, I think that, um type of transition like is a very unanimously felt experience and Mm -hmm. yet not a lot of people open up except with like the few people that they're close with and some people don't have those people so it's cool to Mm -hmm. have an aspirational figure like yourself you know i'm sure a lot of the girls that follow you look up to you and like you you touched on when we were speaking um when you portray these type of images online like you want to put yourself in a position where you are some sort of expert, you are aspirational, but also sharing that vulnerability and authenticity and saying like, I hurt, I I have pain, I experience um, the hard parts of life as well as the beautiful parts. Mm -hmm. So um, I wanted to, I I wanted to like, thank you for sharing that. And that was kind of what drew me to you and your energy.
0: (laughs) I'm, I'm very happy that I shared and it is no coincidence that me having that conversation allowed us to connect and other people too there was there was specifically this one girl who has been following me for a while and she popped into the live and she had said oh my gosh I went through an extremely similar experience and I felt like nobody could fully understand it because of the particular details that go along with the experience and she was like I just randomly came on here plus I don't go on Instagram live often or it hasn't been a consistent habit of mine so that was the third Instagram live I've done this year and she just happened to come in and but anyway yeah me sharing my experience has opened many doors for More opportunities to come in and for healing for other people. So it's completely necessary. And yeah, when you had mentioned that it's nice to see somebody who is knowledgeable but also shares very human like experiences, well, the knowledge doesn't come from having uh, experiences that nobody can relate to, right? Or, I mean, I guess they could. But the long story short is that I've had a long life in my 26 years and I wouldn't have the insights, ideas and perceptions that I do unless I went through experiences, but also was honest to myself about them and then therefore honest to others, which is why we find ourselves here today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think. Um, that's an excellent segue, and I wanted to kind of start with. I typically am both fascinated by and like to give everyone the opportunity when starting out. I, I love to hear people's different journeys to,, um, mm-hmm. you know, the what I can broadly categorize as like self-development, self-improvement, but this journey inward um, and developing yourself. So I want to hear um, a little bit about your upbringing and then your path to, being someone who works on herself is investing in both your health, your spirituality. And then do you feel like there was a specific time transformative book, a person that came into your life that really kicked things off for you?
0: Mm. Incredible. I will, to the best of my memory, answer all of those questions and feel free to just ask again. So Growing up, I I have both my parents and I have two younger brothers. So I'm the oldest and only girl. I'm recently 26. My brother under me is 25. He is actually born a year and four days apart from me, and he was due on my birthday. And my mom was like, "No, uh, you guys are gonna have separate birthdays." And so she uh, she pushed his his date back a little bit, and it all worked out. And then our youngest brother is recently 18. So there's an eight year age gap between him and I. Um, We grew up in Southern California, extremely blessed um, in terms of a place to grow up in and a place to experience as opposed to many other parts of the world. Um, Kane is my youngest brother and my life, was it seemed pretty wholesome from what I can remember up until about the time Kane was born maybe a couple years after when he was essentially a toddler and my parents stayed together and are currently still together through many of the situations that the family experienced but in many ways all of us my parents included could agree that They probably should have had a divorce. They probably should have separated. They probably should have taken really stark action to changing the dynamic of our family because there was a lot of tumultuousness around my young teenage years up until maybe even about two years ago when a lot of the behaviors that I grew up around kind of subsided. So Costner is my second brother. Costner and I grew up together with just us for a long time, and our family seemed very well-rounded in terms of being happy, being healthy, doing familial things, going out, having friends, having family friends, being part of the community. My brother always played sports, and my dad coached. So it was a very standard American Suburbs type family dynamic, and then, yeah, sometime around after Kane was born, and around two thousand eight, when the economy was tanking and people were losing their jobs, and my dad's mom was sick with cancer and was living with us, and there was a lot of pressure on my my dad, really, and my parents and their relationship, and there was severe alcoholism. You know, let's just be real. Let's just be open. There was severe alcoholism that was being played out with my parents. We could say, and there was even domestic violence. There was um, lots of. There were many times that the police came to our house. Child Protective Services came around, and this was over the span of probably I do the math. Be the- eight years or so. It it was a long time. It was periods of upheaval and chaos and tumultuousness and then periods of, oh, it seems like life is normal and that things are good. But despite all of this, despite all of the things going on at home, I was an amazing student, an amazing friend, top of my class in middle school and high school, played sports, was head of clubs. I was the president of my middle school, heavily involved in student government. Um, I just got involved in school as much as I could because one, I genuinely loved it. And two, I'm sure there was an unconscious wanting to try to feel like the upheaval that existed in my personal world at home didn't exist. So I was probably overcompensating and, what seem like my second life, which was my school and where I had people who couldn't see what was going on in the inside of my personal life. And I just had that separation. So um, the way that I grew up in terms of seeing how my parents did not have a healthy relationship, they didn't know each other in many ways, and they were very unhealthy with their eating habits and also substance use it just it forced me uh kind of i would say probably sometimes out of spite and sometimes out of fear to be who i am now to not drink um to take superb care of my health and my spirit and my mental and my physical and my emotional and um, that is pretty much why I, I would contribute most of the childhood fears and the negativity, you could say. I, I would contribute that to being the catalyst for why I am the way that I am. And growing up, I was obviously, as anyone would be, extremely upset about my conditions and definitely had a why me Type of mentality around it, and it wasn't until I got older and realized, oh my gosh, I'm a beacon of light for people because I've not only had these experiences, which were forced slash blessed, if we use better wording, blessed upon me by God or you or the universe. Um, these are these are situations that I can alchemize and turn into something great, and. I would not be as intelligent or as insightful or as all these amazing things as I am if I did not have these experiences to learn from and to grow out of.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Well, first of all, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. Um, A lot to touch on that I definitely want to ask about. Yeah, I think... um, (laughs) It's fascinating. And I've often played with the thoughts of like, because I also grew up with a pretty stable, um, standard middle class, very blessed upbringing. And I was thinking Mm -hmm. I was also raised in Christianity. So there was this a lot of people that would come to speak to us and share their test, what Christians call their testimony, right? Like their life story. Um, how they mm. came to Christ. And I look at it now more broadly as like how you come to step into yourself, how you step into consciousness and awareness. Um, right. A lot of times it requires some sort of either long-term played out um, environment of stress and strain and and trauma and these hard things, whatever words we want to characterize it with or mm-hmm. a specific event. But regardless, some amount of pain Um, to force that recognition. But I've always, I I battled internally, was like, well, I look pretty, like my life's pretty good around me. Like what is going to be my, (laughs) I felt like in a weird way, like something was coming for me. Um, Mm. and, And I don't know what that was out of, but now it's funny. Like I look back on, especially the more I'm learning about how we internalize, like as psychologists would characterize like trauma as a child, especially in those early, early years, like how our parents are Mm -hmm. or are not showing up for us, demonstrating true affectionate love and like why I became somebody who was a high achiever. I think you touched on something like whether it was out of the fear or wanting to exercise control over your external environment, like being Mm -hmm. a high achiever from that early age because of that potential dissatisfaction with the home environment, a feeling of like a lack of control or even like I observe in myself a a lack of maybe I'm not worthy until I have these things, until I get elite level grades, perform well in sports, have a body that matches some sort of standard that either I aspire towards or other people say you should or should not look like. So it's Mm -hmm. positive things that manifest, right? Like you're getting into elite level universities, top of your class grades, like all of these types of things. I I, I experienced similarities there with you, but I think a huge part now that I'm coming to recognize is it's very important where that comes from, like whether it comes from a place of fear or abundance um, and desiring for that positivity, or is it just in like health specifically? Like I've also observed, parents not taking care of like the food that they ate or us not really having like a healthy home or exercising openly so it's like spiteful like i'm gonna be the healthy kid or like i'm gonna break the cycle (laughs) that's such unhealthy energy to be physically healthy right and it sorry it was just like one of those things where um i'm just curious like how when the when the (laughs) switch flipped for you towards awareness Mm -hmm. of it because i think you were achieving the doing the right actions but the being behind it the intention and the like awareness like you were talking about you mm-hmm. recognize now looking back you can see like right. oh that might have been coming from the wrong place when did that switch and awareness start to come in
0: <clears throat> Ooh, that's a fun question um well i would say that some of the thoughts started developing When I was finishing up high school, but it was more so when I went away to college when I was 18 and had a physical separation from my family and from the environment that made me physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually sick. You know, you can't, there's a saying that you can't heal in the environment that made you sick. So I think it came predominantly. Full circle around that time, around 18, 19 years old. And especially, definitely after 19 and through my early 20s, because I went on my health journey, which was not my plan. It it kind of just fell into my lap. But it was this domino effect of me moving away, me realizing who I am without my parents, without a sense of safety, comfort, and security me having to figure a lot of things out on my own and then thinking, okay, well, I'm not surrounded by these people and I'm stuck with myself. So who am I now? Like I have to take responsibility for the thoughts that I have, the feelings that I have, especially now that I'm removed because I can't use them as an excuse to be a certain way. And to backtrack a little bit, growing up, despite the inconsistencies that I felt within me from my upbringing and feeling emotional and scared and and fearful and everything I was still always the friend that everybody came to and even (laughs) my parents would confide in in many ways which is is kind of odd uh, to conceptualize because I'm the child and I'm the one who's essentially a victim to what's going on but my parents would still recognize that I had this certain level of clarity confidence and groundedness that they could lean on for for specific understandings depending on whatever the situations were but I've always in some regard been a person that others can come to because I I do have a strong sense of self and through that I'm able to see different lenses of different situations and I can credit a lot of that to me growing up in what felt like a double life or multiple lives or multiple ways of being because I had to navigate oh excuse me I need some water um (laughs) I had to navigate oh I'm Peyton at home and a daughter and but also a caretaker to my younger brothers. When my parents are being neglectful, but also a caretaker to my parents when they are having their own problems, and I'm a friend and I'm a student i'm I played so many roles, and um I did very well with them. but I would say to yeah to answer your question the the kind of awareness came about mostly when I got away from my parents physically and had to see myself for who I was without them and take accountability for my actions that would still kind of seem like I was being a victim, but they were no longer there to victimize me. So it was like, well, you're not so much a victim now. Like You got to own up to, okay, realizing that your parents were a certain way they did certain things um those actions allowed you to come to an understanding about who you are about the world around you and do you want to see that as a blessing or do you want to see that as a curse because i could have definitely taken the pessimistic route and thought oh like i can't trust anybody and like A bunch of negative thoughts. Essentially, I could have chosen the pessimistic route or I could have seen, wow, my parents went through these situations, which I was naturally going to be put through too. And it only made me stronger. And now I have this awareness and now I can help myself in the future when I come across other situations, because I know that that's part of life. And also I can help people along the way.
1: Yeah. It definitely, I mean, having to grow up so quickly, I think is it's a blessing and a curse, right? Like you had to be a fully actualized adult probably before many people have to face something like that. A lot of people's first time Mm -hmm. trying to make control over their environment and decisions like an adult either is at university or post-university age, at least here in the States and um, Mm -hmm. having to kind of, play the parent to yourself, to your siblings, and even to your parents at home. Um, it's a pretty big cross to bear. So I'm curious, like how were slash were you getting your cup filled? Like who was caring for you Mm. in those times? And if that was a gap or a hole, did it end up manifesting in a negative way, filling that need? Because ultimately we need to receive um, as much as we're putting out, um, man or woman alike.
0: 100%. Mm. Well, I had a best friend growing up and I was very deliberate about having my one friend because also I could say that I had trust issues growing up namely because of the environment I grew up in. I didn't trust my parents, and therefore that was the foundation for trust in my life. And I figured, oh, wow, you know, I can't trust many people. But also there would often be issues within friend groups in relation to jealousy. I always had jealous friends. So I had my one close friend. I mean, I had many friends, but My best friend, I would say, indirectly, she filled my cup, but she didn't know what was going on with my family. Nobody knew. Nobody in the community knew. Nobody at school knew. Law enforcement knew because they (laughs) came to our house pretty often, but I hid my life from everyone around me because it was so embarrassing, and I also hated when people would feel bad for me like i just have never liked the feeling of people feeling pity feeling sorry for me and maybe that's just me blocking a blessing and me literally having had such low self-worth that i felt no one else could see my worth and therefore tried to fill my cup um by me directly asking them to but there were there was several reasons why I kind of didn't allow for that so like I said my close my best friend she indirectly filled my cup she indirectly made me feel like I could get certain needs met and I could feel good about myself and I could kind of not think about my family and that was through just me having a great friendship with her me going and staying at her house on the weekend sometimes and me just spending so much time with her family and feeling like she was my sister and that I had kind of a second family that was that was me having something to lean on but I never said hey Romy is her name hey Romy like stuff's going on at my house can I stay with you I would never tell her I would just try to spend more time with her and that helped me a lot but Otherwise, I did not confide in anybody about what was going on because I was just so fearful. And also, Child Protective Services came to our house several times and I kind of felt like I wasn't allowed to even tell anybody what was happening in fear of getting taken away from my parents. So I had to really tread lightly in how I could try to get help essentially me and Costner the brother that is a year younger than me we leaned on each other a little bit but in the early years we did not get along and it wasn't until we got older that we became like each other's number one person so we partially had each other to lean on in times and the way that we would do that was to make kind of self-deprecating and dark humor self-deprecating jokes and dark humor around what was going on with our family (laughs) and and we bonded in that way but as children and as teenagers we didn't really sit down and talk about our feelings and talk about oh my gosh like what's going on with our family we just kind of stuck through it together but I think that that natural the fact that we had each other and we were siblings and we were a year apart and we were just in each other's vicinity, like naturally gave us an opportunity to have somebody to at least understand what each other was, was going through, even though we didn't really speak on it, if that makes sense. So otherwise, I really just dealt with everything on my own because I couldn't tell anybody. I felt like I couldn't tell anybody. I didn't want to tell anybody. and. To fill the void, to go into your, I think the last question was like, oh, what did you do about that? I didn't do anything until I started going to therapy a couple of years ago. And that was when I really, that was the first time I really told anybody the whole scope of my childhood. I did have a long term boyfriend that knew a lot about what had happened in my childhood, but I, again, kind of felt like I couldn't say everything. I wanted to protect my family. I was dating him and thought naturally, oh, well, if he's going to become my family one day, like, I don't want him to hate them. So I'm not going to tell him everything. So just... It was over time that I was able to get more and more support about my situation, but it wasn't fully really until I went to therapy and just completely brain dumped everything for a year and a half on my therapist and then started feeling confident in sharing on social media and then being able to talk with people, strangers who resonated and could lean on me for support, but that also allowed me to lean on them too so yeah a multitude of things over time
1: yeah uh, I think two things I w- want to touch on is like one I think it's very natural to not want to feel pitied um, mm-hmm. because it it naturally and I don't think that's like a, a wrong st- sort of feeling because it is naturally like by definition pity is someone looking down upon mm. you so it's like placing you on separate levels when ultimately we all are at the same level um, and are of equal worth if we see see ourselves that way. And then two, uh, yeah, you touched on the question I was going to ask, which is like, how long did you kind of hold it and deal with it yourself? Because it gets heavier and heavier over time. I heard a lecture by some college professor and he was talking about, uh, he steps up in front of the class and he says, like, how heavy do you think this glass of water is? And people are like, oh, 12 ounces, 10 ounces, whatever. And he's like, so you think this weight is fixed? And they're like, yeah, I mean, it's like, it has mass. It's it's an object. It has fixed mass. Mm. He says, well, if I held it here for an hour, how heavy is it? Or if I held it here for a day, you know, my, is my, my arm would be shaking. I would barely be able to. <laughs> wow, the, wow. The idea is that like the object itself doesn't carry additional weight, but the extension of time that you try to endure that the heavier it gets on you. And so I was curious. Oh my
0: like... gosh, that's incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was really powerful. Oh,
0: wow. <laughs> You're curious as too.
1: I'm just, I-, I was curious to hear like how long were you going to, because I think I can tell like you are naturally stronger. I think that is first child energy. I'm also the oldest brother. So there is something yeah. in us that like I have to do <laughs> it for them. Like, I don't know what it is, but, Yeah, is. Like, I've always thought that you know like I've looked at why why do I why is it am I called to be like a leader in sports teams a leader in organizations Mm -hmm. I'm in like a high achiever part of that for sure on some subconscious level is like I want to be a good example for my younger brothers and I'm sure the same is for you with yours and so yeah uh, I was just curious like how long did it go even though you are a strong person like there is a breaking point and especially on the emotional Mm. level like you can't just Before it at least manifests in like a very harmful way. So it's good to hear like therapy was that answer. Um, I'm happy to hear that it was in like an environment where it wasn't just trauma dumping on another person. Like you went to therapy Mm -hmm. and like constructive route. like path forward i think part of that too has got to be like one the time period we grew up in i think it's a lot more normalized um compared to like our parents generation and then also 100 we, we briefly touched on our call before this with like east coast versus west coast i think opening up emotionally and spiritually is just more of a west coast normalized trait at least in my experience mm-hmm. i think people are more open and we, we can touch on like the regional stuff if we want to but that's yeah. it's awesome that you went that way I, I want to kind of circle back though so you're turning you're graduating from high school stepping out on your own physically for your mm-hmm. first time high achiever top of your class D- did you have aspirations at the time to pursue something of societal high value something that they deemed like did you want to chase a big career did you what did you go to study mm. and did, did kind of your upbringing inform what you went to pursue into college?
0: When I graduated high school, I was under the impression that I didn't want to go to a university because I felt like it was a scam, essentially. I've always been a very questioning person. And I think that naturally comes from the way that I grew up as well. I had to question everything. I had to question what was real, what was not, what was acceptable what was not I think more than the average person or at least someone who had a a pretty steady childhood um I guess a conspiracy theorist growing up too is something you could have labeled me as and kind of being the black sheep of the family for it so yeah I just thought um people go to university to have this kind of status that isn't really held by any actual meaningful weight unless you're going for a very specific career that needs hard schooling. Otherwise, you can go to a community college, you can take the general classes that everyone has to take anyway, and still get on the same route and get to the same path that you want to have and get a degree. So, I was already not really buying the whole college route as it was. And I didn't even really want to go. But I also didn't know what I wanted to do. I did come up with getting my degree in business admin because it was very general and broad. And I've never been the type of person to want to box myself in. Like, for example, if I were to go for being a lawyer, then my options in life would be law. Whereas if you place yourself in business, it's very broad. Your business can be anything you want and you have complete and total freedom. Whereas in my example, law is no, you are clocking in, you're answering to somebody, you're on a schedule. And I just never, ever liked that kind of thought. I've always wanted to be free. So I went that route and... I went to San Francisco for college for what ended up being a semester. And I went there because I wanted to stay in California, but I wanted to go somewhere that I was unfamiliar with. And I wanted to definitely be away from my family. So my options in my mind were LA, San Diego, San Francisco, because those were the the hubs of California that I was not as familiar with as I was Orange County, where I grew up. So I landed on San Francisco because I was way more unfamiliar with it than San Diego and L.A. And also Santa Barbara was an option, too. But I was like, eh, kind of boring there. So I went there, uh, did just a bunch of general classes for a semester, didn't learn anything just wasted a bunch of time I remember specifically going to the library to think I was going to do work and I ended up (laughs) me and my boyfriend at the time we we really got into this album by the killers called hot fuss I believe that's the name of the album and I was decoding lyrics for like two weeks in the library from all the songs and I realized that well, I think that Brandon Flowers and and the band they um, they wrote a story through every single song, and if you listen to everything all together, they're telling a very specific story. The songs aren't just the songs themselves. And so, anyway, I just wasted a lot of time in college because I didn't care. I just felt like I was going there because it was a societal thing to do, and. I, that was what I thought my, I mean, I didn't, I always knew growing, growing up that I was going to do something influential in life. I've just always felt like I was going to be famous, to be honest, like, whether that sounds vain or conceited, I don't know. I didn't know why I thought I would be famous. Um, I just always thought I'm going to be in some kind of public light. And I also felt deserving of that because I am a natural leader, as you talked about, and I love helping people. I love learning new things. And those are all characteristic of somebody who is in the limelight usually. So I just felt like it's going to happen. I didn't know how. And so when I went to college to do business admin, I thought, okay, well, I'll probably work in the music industry as an artist manager because I love organizing events and my dream job was actually to be a country singer and it wasn't something that I pursued because I was never a good singer but I thought if I can be a, a singer I can still work in the industry and I can still make good money and I can still make connections and do this so Kind of coupling that with getting the business admin degree felt like, okay, well, I'll have my options open for me and kind of just see what happens. And then I ended up going on a huge health journey kind of after my one semester of schooling in San Francisco. So it my life completely changed. And what I thought after high school, my life was going to be just was completely different.
1: Well, that begs the question, what did that journey look like? And what was the impetus <laughs> to do so?
0: So I lived in a townhouse in San Francisco with seven other girls. And it was a three bedroom. <laughs> so my bedroom was the master, which I shared with two girls. And then there was uh, two other rooms that both had pairs in them. and. The rent was $5,000 in 2016, 2015 and 2016. $5,000 for a three-bedroom, not even house, like a townhouse apartment in San Francisco. So I can only imagine how much it costs now. But I was working two jobs and going to school to make ends meet in San Francisco. My roommates were... All of their parents paid for their schooling and for them to live there. So they had a completely different setup. And I, because I was trying every which way to make ends meet and it's so expensive to live in San Francisco, I ate Olive Garden, which was one of the jobs that I had as a server. <clears throat> I ate, gold- ate Olive Garden pretty much twice a day, at least five days a week, because I was trying to not buy food and save as much money as possible. And I ended up gaining 15 to 20 pounds in about eight months. And when I inevitably left San Francisco, because my living situation was trash for lack of a better (laughs) word, um, I had a very hard look in the mirror and was like, wow, pay you kind of let yourself go. Uh, Did not look good, did not feel good. Skin was horrible, super puffy, low energy. And I was like, Nope, this has got to change. So that really that realization of what I had done to myself, after being out of that environment, again, it was another situation of being in a quote toxic environment but i couldn't fully see it until i got away from it and was like able to analyze myself again oh this is who you are now uh without that environment what are you going to do about it and then i was like no i'm i'm not gonna look like this so i literally just for vanity, because I wanted to look better, experimented with veganism to lose weight. And then that prompted a lifetime health journey <laughs> that I'll always be on.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and you've you've kind of alluded to the conspiracy theorist, which, by the way, you're in good company. I'm definitely quite the tinfoil hat guy <laughs> myself. Um, Yay. So I'm curious like, how that plays in, because veganism um this is not to condemn any vegans in the audience but like it's i think it's one <laughs> of the big psyops or like scams that are out there Mm-mm. and health specifically is a very like it's a very like religious space and dogmatic Mm-mm. and people preaching yes like this school that school right answer wrong answer everybody's trying to sell you a pill a potion uh something right um mm-hmm. so i'm curious how did the Questioning nature play into your path to kind of what we I don't know. It, it, would it be fair to describe in like a holistic health kind of way now, mm-hmm. um, naturopathic almost?
0: Right. So, what exactly is your question?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. Like, so you find yourself? All right, I have to make. <laughs> the, I have to make the change. Try to make probably an aggressive cut with veganism, but that's not. Cutting it for nutritional and mental and physical health needs. Mm. Um, how do yeah, you find I, yourself to like where you are now? Were there people that influenced your path specifically?
0: Okay. So I experimented with veganism because after I had gone home, I was in San Francisco. I decided to move back home to kind of regroup, and then I was going to end up moving to LA, which I never did. Thank goodness, actually. Um, i I grew up eating anything that I wanted, but I was still healthier than like all the people around me. So I was not completely blind to what health was, but I just really did not prioritize it. I was focused on survival in San Francisco. So when I came home, I had an understanding of, okay, well, I know what I need to eat that would be better. I know that I need to get back in the gym. And I was doing those things. And maybe I just wasn't doing it long enough, but I became impatient because I'm sure any woman listening can resonate with the fact that as women, we don't feel our best if we know we don't look good. A lot of our drive in life is fueled by beauty and being beautiful. And I'm pretty sure even if you're not a woman listening, you just know that when you look good, you feel good. And then you feel more inspired to do good. (laughs) Um, And hey, maybe people don't resonate with that. And that's, you know seems kind of bad but whatever I was like I need to look better I need to lose weight so I heard about veganism and this is 2016 and it's nowhere near as popular as it is today I only heard of one other vegan and when she it was somebody that I knew in real life and when she told me about it I remember vividly, we were in the kitchen in my townhouse in San Francisco. She told me she was vegan. And I was like, what does that mean? And what do you eat? And she told me, oh, no animal products. And she told me that she makes all of her food and she just ate very minimally and only a couple of things. And I was like, oh my gosh, like props to you. But that sounds insane. And I could never do that. And I remember, I've always remembered this. I said, I can never do that. And then only a short few months later, I was diving fully into that. Um, So yeah, I had heard about veganism. I was like, hmm, well, it seems like what I'm doing now isn't working. So let me try something I've never done. And I was vegan for six years. I initially started cutting out things little by little. Milk was the first thing to go. I fell in love with almond milk. And then It was, I don't know the exact order, but I ended up cutting all the animal products out. And it was relatively easy. I would say cheese was the most difficult thing to let go of. And I did it, though. Um, And I was vegan for a long time. And I have zero regrets about it, actually, because it's the best thing I've ever done in my life literally, compared to anything I've ever done, going vegan is the best thing. Even now, even now that I'm not vegan and uh, have animal products now, I can still say it because it just completely changed how I looked, how I felt, my energy, the way that I thought about the world and not just food itself, but the actual world. It, It really catalyzed this spiritual development And I think a lot of vegans say that, too. And it's not to say that being vegan makes you more spiritual or spiritually inclined. Not at all. But what it does do is force you to think about food in an extremely different way. In an extreme way, just as it is. Um, So I now am not vegan after, yeah, it was a six-year thing. I stopped because of protein, really, because I wasn't a sick vegan. I wasn't a lethargic vegan. I didn't stop because it was making me look or feel bad. In my opinion, I looked the best I've ever looked when I was vegan. and I think I look amazing now, Um, but there's a certain glow, this certain energetic feeling that I've literally never felt besides when I was vegan. Um, so I, I am very curious about that still because I, now I'm, uh, I've introduced animal products back in and I don't have any problems, but anyway, we can maybe touch on that later. But, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of dogma in the health space and definitely a lot of trash, trash talking on veganism. And I completely understand why. Um, I don't think that that lifestyle is conducive for most people especially in the long term but i personally do think it does have benefits in the short term for a specific reason a specified time frame and done in a very specific way um did i answer the question (laughs) Yeah, yeah no
1: it's good it's good i was uh i was just listening to the journey kind of like trying to piece together like i i was shocked by the because i i don't know this the way you framed it at the beginning like i did vegan for a while and then you're like i did vegan for six years um yeah that's like a pretty significant um period of time to commit to one style of eating especially like you alluded to like on one extreme end of the spectrum um Mm -hmm. but i do want to dive into now the spiritual stuff because i think yeah like the benefit to any sort of really conscious eating, choosing intentionally what your diet is, and especially when you push it towards an extreme, like whether you go full carnivore, full vegan, full vegetarian, pescatarian, whatever, and you're very uh, explicit with that rule set or framework, it forces you to pay attention. And ultimately, just being aware as opposed to just unconsciously eating what's on the menu um, does start to spill into these other aspects of your life. um, And there also is the added element with veganism. And I guess you can potentially touch on this is like not choosing animal products. I'm curious for you, was there also the component of the animal's life? Was that something that yeah. mattered to you and was it part of it or was it all health or a combination?
0: Initially, it was strictly vanity. Like, I'm not going to say it wasn't it that was my whole intention for doing it because I was desperate to look how I wanted to look I'm completely driven by being a beautiful person inside and out you know I'm not gonna act like I'm not so yeah initially I was like I just want to lose weight I want my skin to clear up and I want to look good and I was forced to learn about health through reading labels, because if you're vegan and you're doing it the right way, you have to know if what you're eating has animal products or not. So I became really shocked when I would just read like a bag of chips and it would say contains milk. And I'm like, why does this have milk? And then it prompted my curiosity, which is looking at everything and then seeing, oh, red forty. Why am I eating something that has a number in it? You know, it was like this huge journey um, through health, through understanding different ingredients. And then after that, at some point, the ethical side of it of, oh my gosh, factory farming is horrible, Oh my gosh, I'm eating like a living being. and the, the animal welfare welfare part and mm, environmentalism stuff was on the the latter end of it it was initially just for i want to look good and then i just started learning about different foods and just realizing oh like these things and the way that they are they're raised like animals like the way that they're raised a lot of them and what they're fed and and the hormones and stuff. That just doesn't seem like something that I want to consume. And then the other stuff followed.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm also curious, like choosing a, any sort of extreme health lifestyle or ultimately just becoming a better version of yourself, like deciding that you want more out of life, more out of yourself. A lot of times and I talk about this with the guys that I work with, I've talked about it on my podcast before, but like Anytime you put yourself into a place where you're making strides or improvements or even opening yourself up to it, a lot of times people around you will start to project like their insecurity, their decision to not do the same thing onto you. Yeah. So like, what do you mean you're not going to eat this? You think you're better than us? Or like one, one meal won't hurt, <laughs> one drink won't oh, hurt. Oh, man. Um. So I'm curious, living both in the vegan lifestyle, but we can extend it now more broadly just to like health and like wanting a lot out of life. Even just even the career route, right? Like wanting to be free. You sure you don't want to go to college? I'm sure you heard all these kind of things, right? Like yes. People just projections and of their fear, lack, and insecurity. How had that? How did that affect your journey? And then along the path, did it make it hard to find like minded people? How did you seek out those types of communities, whether individuals or groups of people? Because I'm, I'm kind of seeing this like big gap. I want, I want to open up this like six year journey a little bit. Yeah. Uh, from like, um, uh, you know, San Francisco to where you are now.
0: Of course, and feel free to stop me or course correct me if I'm not answering the question. Because I, I have so much in my, my mind that I, I want to share. Um, so yeah, there, there's always been naysayers about my lifestyle because i'm i don't like to follow the rules i don't like to do what i'm told and i like to do things my way so beyond veganism i've always been somebody who is questioned because my actions are just very often different from most people's so when i started experimenting with veganism and i was putting almond milk in the fridge Because I couldn't tell my mom, hey, can you buy this? Because she was like, oh, I'm not going to drink that. No one else is going to drink it. So I'm just not going to buy that. So I ended up starting to buy my own groceries when I went vegan. But anyway, I would yeah, start to bring these different foods around and also ideas and share with my parents and... They were very off put by it. And I definitely think that my approach could have been different because I was so excited about it initially. And I was seeing results very quickly, uh, positive returns on my decision. And naturally, that was like, Oh, my gosh, I want to share this with my family, maybe they'll become healthier for it, too. Maybe they'll start to feel better, look better, all this. So I kind of just came at them very fast with all my with all my foods and, and like I said ideas and they were extremely skeptical more so my mom my dad was cool because my dad is very open-minded and I think that's where I get a lot of it from um, besides just being my own person but naturally being raised by him he is more free in the mind and in practice and doesn't always like to follow the rules either and likes to try new things so there was this energy about my transition you could say where my parents were seeing that I was going through something that was very different from how they were and I think they wanted to support it but they were also feeling insecure that I was doing something that was really positive, really helpful. And they were feeling bad about it. Kind of, as you said, like, Oh, like you think you're better than us type of mentality. And I'm, I, I can't even fully remember what I might've said or done that would give validity to them feeling that way. Because I'm sure there were probably times where I essentially alluded to the fact that if they did what i said that they would be better off which can you know come off as like i'm better than you which is never ever my mo but i, I do think it probably came off that way at times and so i learned over time that i need, needed to back off i needed to stop trying to influence them trying to change them because they definitely were turned off to change in general especially older people they tend to be more stuck in their ways they tend to be very comfortable with where they're at and so I just realized well I'm trying to help them they're not open to it and I'm only getting my feelings hurt by doing so so I I realized that I just had to be strong in who I was and if they made A comment or any other people in my life made a comment about how I was living or how I was doing things I just had to see it as their own projection and not necessarily anything that was rooted in truth about me Um, I had to see it as other people's insecurities that were coming out that were trying to protect them from like it was their insecurity that was yeah, I'm just going to move forward. There are insecurities from other people that had nothing to do with me. And I also realized that true change comes from you just being who you are and people gravitating towards it instead of me trying so hard to control or to try to coerce them into doing something they don't want to do. Well, if they truly want to do something or make a change, they'll have me as a model to lean on and confide in and follow after. Otherwise, I'm it's really going to save me my own heart and headspace to do what I want to do and not let anyone try to bring me down or turn me away from it.
1: Yeah. That's so big. And it's a realization and kind of reaffirming that I'm starting to have to really do um, with my, I talk to my brothers about this a lot because I feel this sense of like, I have the answers and I like, can I can, and do have the capacity to really help my parents, especially as they're getting older, mm-hmm. and like wanting them to take control of their health, you know. And I talk to them. I'm like, "Well, do we walk away? I don't. I don't want mm-hmm. them to get to the place where, or, 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 or we all get to the place where I look back and say I could have done more." But it's. I also yeah, I see that coming to, coming to realize, like, not only just with parents, but you can extend it to like romantic relationships too. Like, it is just not your responsibility to change somebody else as much as you <laughs> which is
0: yeah it's a hard pill to swallow
1: super hard especially when you feel like you have the capacity to um
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the tools and the words and you just continue to try and so it's the metaphor of like the leading the horse to water but you can't make it drink like your job yes. especially within family is just to continue to present the water like over and over and over and like that is the most that you can and should do Because technically Mm -hmm. you could try to force the horse to drink to continue on the metaphor line, but like, that's only going to hurt you or the animal. And so in the relationships, like you will break the relationship if you try to force feed someone something, they have to want it. They But you, as a person who wants the best for them, you are kind of called to continue to present it. And that's how you show up in the relationship. That's how you choose to live your life, um, sharing information when it feels necessary but yeah like you Mm -hmm. said the best way is just like live in a certain way speak in a certain way that is authentic to you and then the really beautiful moments are when someone's like what do you mean by that or like you know it was interesting i like my like i took a walk and like i'm eating differently like what do you i saw this happen in my body what does that mean and then you get to kind of like add additional details but the, the the genuine interest has to come from their side
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. And how many brothers do you have, by the way?
1: I have two younger brothers.
0: Oh, cool. Same.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the ages are, you're slightly older than me, but I think we're separated by our siblings similarly. Um, My middle brother is graduating now, so he's going to be 22. And Mm -hmm. my youngest is a sophomore, so he's 20, which is crazy to think. <laughs> I always imagine. Wow! But yeah, we're like two, two, and two years apart.
0: Awesome. Um, sorry, did I, I cut off your question from before?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. You're good. Um, no, it's interesting. I uh I'm trying to think of like where I want to transition from here because I do want to get into like your opinion on like men, women, masculine, feminine, and like being raised in the era of a relatively femme centric culture like pushing mm-hmm. um the value of women like this feminist the feminist movement in general I want to hear your thoughts even especially also like living in kind of hub cities or like regions at least like the west coast mm-hmm. SF for sure um I want to hear like as a high achieving woman someone who's was driven and smart, From a very young age, how do you balance? And honestly, like from a spiritual perspective, and I don't want to speak for you, so definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but like living in living in a way that you were having to make a lot of decisions, take control, lead for a long time, very much like aligned with masculine energy. Mm -hmm. How did you go about dating in general and seeking out partners? Do you tend to want a partner more in their feminine, given your high achieving nature? <laughs> um, and, like, I, I guess it's we can leave it somewhat open ended and go from there. But yeah, I don't, don't want to put my foot in my mouth too soon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So, I have always had a pretty strong masculine energy about me. But I don't think that I wear it completely on my sleeve. So I look very feminine. I present myself very femininely, if that's a word. But in my character and my personality, I'm pretty strong and assertive. I, I didn't always have this attribute, but I'm assertive. And I think it's come from being more honest, really. Uh, because I I grew up very dishonest because I had to lie about my life and I thought lying and hiding the truth was a way to protect myself so I kind of allowed it and which seeped into other areas of my life which I just thought me not sharing all the information about who I am and what I think about and things like that is okay because I it's like a protection mechanism but that's that's that was my own delusional (laughs) idea but anyway um, I enjoy having a strong masculine energy about me because I do like being a leader and being a leader is masculine in itself Um, but I think as a female leader there's a way to utilize that energy for good and to not let it take you over which I think in many ways especially when I was a younger adult, like getting into my early twenties. I was part of a startup and I was extremely independent, but not just because that's who I am, but also because society forces that out of women. When they're eight between the ages of like eighteen to twenty five, I would say, or at least until a girl gets married, she has to be masculine unless she lives with her parents and doesn't have to work. And doesn't have any ambition in life. Society pretty much says you have an opportunity to be feminine up until 18 and living with your parents and going to school and having things taken care of for you. That's kind of leaning into your feminine, having things taken care of for you. Um, but when you're 18 and you're pushed out of the nest and told that you need to fly, well, you got to pay your own bills. Let's just say hypothetically, you're on your own, uh, which a lot of Western women are around eighteen. Got to pay your own bills. Got to figure out where you're gonna live. You got to figure out your life. What's your career gonna be? What's your passion, motivation gonna be? And all of, all of the ways in which you would have those things come from a masculine energy because you have to be assertive. You have to be driven you have to go and do things and so women become extremely masculinized in this way and with their hopefully increasing success of it as they get older like okay so assuming you're going to get better with every year on how to take care of yourself and how to create a space for yourself in the world you're just going to become more masculine And so then when you're trying to attract a partner and you're masculine, it's going to be pretty difficult, which is kind of a boat that I found myself in. I graduated high school June 10th of 2015, and June 21st, 11 days later, I met the guy who I would eventually end up dating for six years, so six years vegan six years relationship that that six year thing is um pretty interesting I got into that relationship being kind of a child still because 18 is like on paper you're an adult but in practice you're still kind of a child um and I was definitely in my masculine because I was just oh well I'm in San Francisco by myself I'm working two jobs I'm going to school I'm making everything happen for myself my parents aren't paying for anything <clears throat> and uh I'm I'm just really having to like lean on myself and so when I dated this guy he was 4 years older than me uh so definitely more established and our relationship was like a 50/50 when it came to the masculine and feminine energy stuff and me being in San Francisco definitely it <laughs> gave me some of those women's empowerment uh, thoughts and ideas. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of lived in that for a little bit in my mind. And it didn't seem to have an effect on my romantic relationship until maybe like midway through when my ex and I both started realizing Things about the masculine and feminine, and how societal relationships are deeply flawed, and us analyzing our parents' relationships on a deeper level and realizing, oh, you know, our parents have messed up male female dynamics, and we're kind of falling in line with those and not getting the results that we want in our relationship, so we just started learning about the masculine and feminine stuff and trying to transition out of the pattern we were falling into that everyone else is falling into. And then we kind of, I started stepping out of a masculine frame, but it was very difficult. And I didn't even do it completely or in the right way until I actually got out of that relationship.
1: When you were spending that time, both in the context of the relationship, but I guess broadly in life, like, do you feel like there's a dissonance when you're like, where do you feel naturally? Obviously, maybe for the spectrum of what is typical for a female, you consider yourself more masculine, but do you feel Mm -hmm. really comfortable in that? Like, do you like to live in that way?
0: I love it. Yeah. So when I'm around men, I'm not masculine and when i'm around uh women i'm not <clears throat> masculine like i i definitely have a very strong female presence and demeanor about me but i'm not i guess uncomfortable with being that assertive masculine confident look you in the eyes tell you how it is uh type of person so I greatly enjoy it. I think, I mean, within all of us there, there's male and female energy and we, we both, I mean, both all of us need to utilize both. Um, It's just knowing really how to do it and what's conducive to your goal as a person or your goal in a relationship, whether it's romantic or not.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, And learning like the, different contexts where it's most healthy to have avenues to express it and nurture those feelings matters a lot. Um So I, I guess I'm curious within relationships, like do you seek out a partner that allows you to drop into your feminine more, or given that you are naturally inclined to the masculine, do you want somebody who plays, I guess the, the line more evenly?
0: Hmm. It's, I can answer this question a lot better now that I've had two uh, pretty different adult relationships. Um, But I, I wanted to backtrack really quick before I answer that because something came up when you were speaking is that now that society is understanding that women are extremely masculine and too masculine in many ways, it seems like women and their masculine energy is being demonized Um, because it's been so prevalent and it's been a problem. It seems like people are now saying, well, women need to not be masculine. And I don't agree with that. I think that there's a time and place for it. And as I said before, it exists within all of us, just like the feminine exists within you and you need it you just need to know how to utilize it. So um, I'm not here being blind to the fact that I've been kind of coerced and psyoped into having this strong masculine presence, but I think that's just how I am as a person. Um, And we could allude part of it to the upbringing I had and being in a leadership role and taking care of everyone around me that would naturally make me masculine but I think just as a spirit and as a soul I'm I'm just I keep the word assertive keeps coming up so I'm just going to keep using it assertive I'm I have an assertive goal as a spirit as a soul as a person and I'm never going to let that go and it's just a naturally masculine energy so I enjoy it but anyway Oh, yeah, I wanted to add that in there that I think women shouldn't demonize their masculinity. They just need to know how to use it differently than they've been unconsciously playing it out. Um, Now, in relationships, so I, Tyler is the name of my ex who I was in a six-year relationship with um, beginning when I was 18 and then as pretty much her the way you found me through the podcast that I was on and talking about my most recent adult relationship. Um, I can't the the name of, of the person I was with, we're going to use the name Walter, just so we can speak easily. Um <clears throat> That relationship, I was able to lean into the feminine heavily. So with Tyler, it was like a 50 50. And In many ways, even like a 70-30, me taking over a lot of emotional responsibility, financial responsibility at times, and me just kind of being used to that, though, also, because that's how I grew up. So I've always been used to taking care of anyone in my life. So we operated pretty much 50-50 because, one, I'm a naturally masculine person, and I know how to take care of myself um two he grew up without strong masculine Tyler grew up without a strong masculine presence in his childhood so he was very much in his feminine in a lot of ways and I think he enjoyed that I would take care of him in our relationship so it was like that's just how it played out and I think as I started getting older and learning more about the male female dynamic as i told you in our relationship i started being kind of resentful towards him uh consciously and uh, unconsciously because it was like i wasn't being allowed to be f- like fully feminine all the time because i was having to take care of him and his emotional stuff and his financial stuff and um <clears throat> so i started having the realization that okay i probably should be with someone who's more masculine so I can relax. But I also thought that we were gonna get married and have kids just based off the fact that I growing up always wanted to be in one relationship and for that to be it. Plus when I met Tyler, I literally saw him. It was it was like a fairy tale movie type type of situation i saw him and i was like oh wow like i want to have this guy's kids for some reason <laughs> so i was just under the impression that okay this is the person i'm going to be with but then i started questioning it because he just seemed very feminine and not in like how he looked or his demeanor or anything but in his actions and it it was making me resentful so it started making me think hmm is this the relationship for me well Yeah, it ended up not being the relationship for me. And I got into another significant one uh, after that with someone who was hyper-masculine and allowed me slash forced me to be (laughs) more feminine. It was like, wow, I had to really literally reprogram myself mentally, emotionally, spiritually and physically with the actions that I took um, to to be more feminine. And, and it came with me dating this person naturally, but also with my increased knowledge as time went on. I have always been highly curious about human interaction and communication and the way that people operate. So I've been really fascinated by the male and female dynamics and just as I started learning over time about okay you can actually have this reality and then pairing with someone in my actual life that kind of gave me permission to to do that was cool um so I've had the experience of dating someone who is probably a little bit too feminine in practice but you know it could be from certain factors I I think he could be I think he could absolutely be the masculine figure I I needed him to be, but it was just, he needed to go through some personal development. And then the second relationship with Walter was, um, I think that the forced, um, the forced, (laughs) let's say, ideology of being extremely feminine for me to operate in that relationship didn't fully work out for me uh, either and, and there's multiple factors for why it didn't work out. but I felt like my independent nature was getting lost and I was freaking out sometimes about it because it it was making me fearful and it was making me feel like I didn't have a sense of control and I had to fully lean on somebody which is what the mass which is what the feminine thrives on is leaning is trusting is having faith and i was doing that but i've never done that in my life so i was like oh my gosh like i think consciously because of what i have learned through researching and analyzing my last relationship like okay i think that being extremely feminine would probably work out for me in some way but in the ways that I was doing it it didn't always feel good it it felt good a lot of the time but it didn't fully feel good and so I I don't know if I attribute that to me just being masculine as an individual and not feeling completely comfortable in that role or if, if it was the, con- the specific conditions and the specific lay of the land of the relationship that just made it not 100% ideal. And I think it's more of the latter.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure it's also like it's a yes and kind of situation. Like there is the fact mm. that it was a new behavior. So there's obviously going to be dissonance. Like I've never tried this level of kind of um, showing up in a relationship. So it's automatically going to yeah. be different, right? And then the second layer is... Yeah there probably is also natural dissonance between just who I am essence wise spirit wise like there there has mm-hmm. to be kind of a lock and key fit to some degree like we are extremely malleable but I do think that there is something underlying the the I am like the being of a person that isn't really malleable like there is some mm-hmm. sort of identity yeah. that is just always going to be behind it like we can change our behaviors we can change our looks we can change our bodies careers where we live, who we're with, but to f- find that full fulfillment, especially in like a long-term partnership, I think it has to, or, and maybe this is me like falling for the romanticism psyop, out, but like, I do believe in the idea of like a, <laughs> a lock and key situation. And I, and I don't know that it's like the, like the, I don't know if how much red pill space stuff that you've consumed, but there's a mm-hmm. term in that space. That's like the one-itis, like believing in the one is like part of the scam and I do think that like the Disney, the hallmark idea of the one is wrong. Um, I'm sure that you felt in periods of that, especially that long term relationship being your first, especially finding him so young. This is the one. This is the like, right. This like Prince Charming. You even kind of like spoke yeah. to him in that sense. Um, and uh, for sure, everybody's first relationship. If you fall in love with the person, you have the idea of the one you have the idea of we're going to go the distance. And I think that is part of the scam.
0: Well, when I was growing up, I didn't have any boyfriends in high school. And I definitely could have had one. But I would always tell my friends that I didn't want to be with anyone unless I was going to be with them forever. And this is a very kind of outdated. I don't know. Okay. No, not outdated, but. Back in the day, maybe Christian or religious way of thinking, like you want to save yourself for marriage as a woman and all of this stuff. And I didn't grow up in a religious family. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't have my school telling me this. And I definitely didn't have my parents telling me this. So it felt like I had this way of being because it was who I am and not like I came to earth with this is a goal of mine or maybe it was just a knowing but then it wasn't a knowing because that hasn't been (laughs) my experience but I grew up um just not having interest in really anyone around like I had crushes and and guys that I thought could maybe be the one one day but there was just something about dating that I was always put off by because I I didn't want to date I don't want to get to know different people. I don't want to touch multiple people. And I, I definitely didn't want to have sex with multiple people. So I was like, I'm just going to wait until I meet someone who makes me feel like I can spend my life with them and I can build with them. And so when I met Tyler, after I graduated, it was like I was 18 at that point. Um, he was much older. He was not from my community so didn't know anyone that i went to school with didn't know my family and i felt like this is a very ideal situation just in itself based off of these parameters and then the fact that we were like the same person was just like oh my gosh is this the one like really like i wow this is amazing so i get what you're saying about like the one night thing and i and I was young, right? So there probably could have been kind of that psyop I was living because I it seemed like the perfect situation that came about. But I was eighteen at the time, though, with zero experience. So I, you know, I don't know. But I, the the reason I brought this up is because I see where you're coming from, but I also think that just me as an individual have always wanted that too, that to feel like there is the one. But I mean, no, I don't think that there is a one particular.
1: Yeah, I I am curious now, having gone from the place where you wanted to and aspired to, which I think is good and healthy and like God spoken driven both for men and women. Like I, re- I really do think that like we've lived in like a hyper degenerate culture Like there is, we've reached the, the pendulum has swung far enough. Like I don't think people should be running their body counts up, man or woman alike to 50 to a hundred people. Oh my gosh. It's But regardless, I'm curious to hear your opinion on having been in that place before and then now down the line, having now had multiple partners, like where do you think the line should be drawn? Should people aspire to gain some experience because obviously you've gone through tremendous amount of learning like what you want what you don't want out of a partner yeah broadly and then also what you do and do not want for yourself how you want people to show up for you how you want to show up for other people um like i can't think for myself who who i would be had i ended up with the first girl i started dating like i've learned literally so Mm. so much in every one of my relationships um long or short short term so i'm curious like where do you draw the line of experience and also wanting to just grow and develop with one person?
0: Experience is always necessary in life. I, from my personal perspective, I do think that I would have maintained a certain level of satisfaction having only been with Tyler forever. Um, do I think I would have had curiosity about how things could be otherwise without him? Absolutely. Of course. But I'm the type of person where if I'm committed to something and especially someone I'm all in and I'm all in for the many experiences that you can have within that one relationship. So I think it's just being open-minded to what you can do together how you can grow together how you can be different together how you can have different seasons together it's it's about being an individual and having certain individual experiences but also being able to share that with someone so to be honest I I mean I'm obviously speaking from the other side you know I'm not in it where I've only had that one experience but looking back now I can literally say that even though i've had other experiences i do think that i would be cool with having just stayed with tyler but the re- the reason it didn't work out was i mean several reasons but i i did start developing a the grass could be greener on the other side mentality but that came from the fact that he was pretty much falling short in the relationship and he's 28 at that point i'm 24 I think and we've been dating for six years there's no ring he's telling me oh well divorce is like a 50 percent chance in society so why wouldn't we be of that statistic and was just having a very pessimistic outlook on marriage and I was like well geez uh so many signs are pointing to maybe I shouldn't be a part of this and so I thought okay well the grass is probably greener on the other side somewhere. And I took that chance. But um, I, I can't say that I think being with one person or having many experiences is, I can't say that either one is going to be beneficial for every person, because I do think some people can have a singular high school sweetheart experience and be extremely happy. And then probably have curiosity, right? But then there can be people who have many experiences and maybe they never have a one truly, really deep relationship and have questions about that too. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? Like either route that you pick, there's probably going to be a small, at least small level of dissatisfaction that you have. So it's kind of just about following the path that feels good to you but I think for women they should be extremely selective like regardless of if it's as extreme as being with one person or if it's a little bit more flexible with having multiple experiences regardless I think women should have a very strong filter for what they allow for themselves because women are the creators of the future and the portal of life exists within us and so whoever is entering that space whether it's well i mean especially if it's sexually is so so crucial to her well-being and to also the well-being of the future of generations because kids are affected by that so um i think all in all it's up to each individual to vet what they think will be good for them and to be open minded to the fact that what they think they want can change and then for a woman to especially be selective about what they do within that realm
1: yeah i think you touched on two really important things one is like the grass is always greener i do think humans have a really unique way of always finding something to complain about like we always will yeah. have this And part of it, you could go like the very like animalistic evolutionary psychology route where it's like we evolved to be focused on the predator more than the positives just for survival. So we're always going to be more negatively biased cognitively. And so Mm -hmm. I think that kind of manifests in our very abundant world now in things like relationships and the day-to-day and wanting other lives or other jobs or whatever may have you. And then I think the other thing is... Yeah. Like protecting like women holding kind of a standard for themselves and holding men accountable. And I always also, you know, as a man, I think I try to take ownership and say like, it is also our job to help hold ourselves to a standard and protect the virtue of women. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. they, uh, you know, like a lot of tropes would say like women hold the gate to sexual access. Men hold the gate to like relational access. But I, Mm I don't think it has to just be that way. Like in in a consensual, like sexual setting, like both people are choosing to do that. And like, as a man, I think when I look back on like different periods of my life and like where I am now, just because you can, doesn't mean you should kind of one of those situations. And if I want to preach, like, first of all, if I want to seek out a partner that is like respected her virtue and like has been selective with her partners in the past, then it's not totally... I don't know if fair is the right word, but it's not good. Like putting out the right energetic uh, signal for me to just sacrifice the virtue of like other women because of ability or like general interest or like their lack of of self worth or the place that they are in their life. Um, yeah, ability to access them sexually like doesn't mean that you should, right? Um, and so like that's kind of where I, <laughs> I agree. Um, and and I it is an interesting two way street because I think. I I would hate to place the blame on women. I want I want them to like hold themselves to a high standard, but it takes two to tango, and yes, men should. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, if you wouldn't want your daughter out there doing it, like, how are you gonna engage in it and then go on Twitter mm-hmm. and condemn people for <laughs> for haram? You know
0: oh, I mean? good man. Yeah, I I'm happy to hear that you are thinking in that way that's amazing
1: yeah I, I try to knowing that and i've always had like a call calling that like i want to be a dad one day so i try to frame a lot of my just life experiences as like prep work for yeah. being a dad and like every whether it's the men in like the program that i work with like they're all simulation children every relationship is a simulated like wife experience until it becomes the one that you spend your life with. And like, you can learn how to show up for other people. And as long as you're consciously going through the day to day, I think awareness is just like so critical in general, but, but like, absolutely. It's a train. It's a training ground for the ultimate. Like job. The ultimate trial is like being a parent and bringing another self actualized human being into the world and hopefully giving them the best tools you can um, not robbing them of the experience of like pain heartbreak whatever like letting them stumble and learn for themselves because we're all mm-hmm. you know a spirit trying to figure out something here but like giving them the best tools possible and not my my big transition currently is like moving away from the space of like well I didn't like how my parents did x y and z so I'm not going to do it that way yeah and instead of coming from the negative just saying like I'm going to be able to provide these amazing positive experiences. I liked how my parents did this, this, and this. So I'm going to replicate mm. that yes. and add to it.
0: Great mental framework. I like that. Y-
1: yeah, it's definitely not- it's definitely been something that I've tried to like, and I'm still trying to re, re- reaffirm and like, it's not easy, right? I think we- it's so easy to look at our parents. And because we live in an information age, I think a lot about Things like therapy, even just learning the right words to say, to talk about some of the stuff, <laughs> is like, I don't know how I would have possibly known a lot of this stuff had I not had, you know, some of the best therapists in the world putting out short form video, being on Twitter, writing books, like being on podcasts. Like there's we there's such a wealth of information. So I can't necessarily look at my parents and be like, Well, how did you not heal your parent wounds? Like they didn't know the phrase parent mm. wounds, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, didn't, they didn't know about inner child work. You had to be pretty like San Francisco back in their era. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, the people their age. And it's awesome that the internet has democratized that um, level of healing, I think, for people.
0: I agree. My mom was uh, telling me something the other day. She was like, you know, back in the day when I was your age, because she also, uh, about, 25 or so went through a breakup and she said it sent her over the edge and that she had to go to a psychiatrist for it and she was like back in my day and when I did that it was shunned upon so she was essentially telling me that I should be kind of grateful that those practices I guess are more normalized Which I am. I I mean, for me, I don't think I would care if it was normalized or not. But at least the accessibility is there for those avenues of healing and understanding.
1: Yeah, I think it is general. It's nice to like, especially when you're in a wounded and hurt place, to not feel like more condemnation. Like it would suck to really Mm -hmm. have salt in the wound. But also, I think the biggest thing is just the prevalence of the information. Like being aware in the first place that it is an option that it is generally going to do positive things for you. Whether or not people are like parading and cheering for you to go to therapy or not, it's super important to know that like, okay, these resources are out there. I can start with self-healing by just learning about the words to say, like what the heck was going on with my parents' relationship? How did that show up in the way that they showed up for me? How does it affect the people that I continue to attract into my relationships. The fact that mm-hmm. they haven't worked in the past thus far means that there are things to improve on. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's it's either like a positively iterative process or you're doomed to repeat the lesson.
0: A hundred percent.
1: So uh, given your previous scenario and we don't have to go into detail or you can you feel free to share what you want. I'm curious. Yeah. With the self-agentic view like wanting to take extreme ownership knowing that we get who we are in life in yeah in in what ways do you think what lessons have in the short term so far you recognized about what you need to do differently to not receive what you ultimately did in the separation of your previous relationship
0: Mm. yeah extreme ownership has been the gold mine for not only my childhood upbringing, but then eventually the adult romantic relationships, um, namely the last one I was just in. So, for the listeners, I just got out of a one and a half to two and a half year relationship. And I say that because part of it was online before it became in person but the way it ended was less than ideal and we planned on getting married and having kids and I know I said that about Tyler but we actually made solidified plans like with my last relationship and they were supposed to be put into place starting this year so uh, it's pretty shocking so far and taking extreme accountability for the role that i played in the relationship and not being a victim to what on paper would absolutely victimize me um has been has been really amazing to not fall into that so what have i learned so far was your question right
1: yeah like more or less i guess in in Facing a circumstance which is less than ideal, certainly not how you would have written it to be. And a scenario, yeah, like you said, where external things have happened and many people could like roll over and say like, okay, well, that that happened to me. He chose to do X, Y, Z and that sucks and it hurts and I feel like there's a lack of control because it wasn't my decision, blah, blah, blah. Um, Choosing to take extreme ownership and... Also, trying to put some distance between yourself and the event, like identifying with just observing previous Peyton and saying, like, mm-hmm. what did she do right, that right. attracted this and allowed it to happen?
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm remembering what you said. So, the world is a mirror to who we are and all the relationships that we have our relationship with mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cashier at the grocery store, our lover. All of them are opportune scenarios that you get to see who you are in. So, the closer the relationship you have with someone, the more clear the mirror is. And so, there's great power in understanding that because if you see yourself as a victim to things that might happen to you in a relationship, well, it's better to acknowledge that like you said before it takes two to tango and that's that's the term that i always use so i liked how you said that um but if somebody is treating you a certain way and you're allowing it there is a mirror right there because you're essentially being reflected what it is you must believe about yourself if you're allowing it right so if i take a look at some of the situations that ensued with my last partner and see myself as a victim of he just did this to me well one what am I going to learn besides how to just be a, a bigger victim and two how am I going to change if I don't take any kind of accountability for what could have happened and what you can do about these things is to see that there's an opportunity to change if you take ownership and okay, well I didn't set a boundary the first time or the second time or the 30th time, whatever, <laughs> what you allow will continue. That's, that's been the biggest theme I think for this is what I allowed ultimately what I allowed time and time again, just allowed worse things to happen. and So Then it's thinking deeper. Why did I allow this? Is it because I'm just a nice person? Well, sure. Is it because I'm a dedicated person? Sure. Is it because I'm committed? Absolutely. I am extremely committed, which has kept me around. But I don't think those are deep enough questions or deep enough ways to look at yourself because that's not taking accountability for anything by saying you're a committed person. Why are you committed to poor behavior? That's a deeper question to ask. Well, is it because you don't think you're worthy of better behavior? Probably. There's probably some kind of lack of self-worth that exists if you continuously put up with bad behavior. Now, what gets tricky is that nobody's going to be perfect. Unless you are born perfect, which none of us are, so this is not a really great scenario or example to share, but given the context, you have to understand that unless you're born perfect, you're going to have an imperfect mirror. So you're just going to meet someone or meet people or be born into a family of people who reflect who you are on the inside. And so until you change who you are on the inside, you're just going to continuously attract more of the same of what you are. So I'm going to pause there.
1: No, that's good. I think the mirror principle, like law of attraction is so important. And like, I love what you said about the closer the relationship, the clearer the mirror. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you do start to see really deeply like the granularity of like who you are and it also always ends up hurting way way more in like the short term right like something goes wrong and it's like fuck again like this, this thing, <laughs> right um, oh yeah and so it, it that but that goes back to like the very beginning where we started where like something of pain typically pushes us to learn and relationships I think are For myself specifically, and I think for many people, huge moments of growth. Like, you know, it's a it's a trope on the internet. Like all guys, like you get broken up with, like, all right, he's going back to the gym, like all this stuff. (laughs) Same thing. Like, but it's the same thing with girls and uh it's a funny meme, but like on top of that, it I love that universally people are pressed to self-development from like relationships ending and it is yeah. it, it is like uh, if you looked at that differently, like you were describing, why does that happen? Because the relationship is a manifestation of self. And when you recognize that the yep. relationship didn't provide for you well, ultimately, you could be like on the vein level, like I want to build the revenge body, but go deeper. Like, why does that matter to you? It's like, oh, I didn't see myself as worthy of love with whatever, whether it was your externals or internals. Whatever work you decide to start doing post end of a relationship, it all comes down to yeah, like your your the way you look at yourself in an actual mirror. Like who is the man or woman staring back at me and how do I react to them? Like is is that someone that I see with pride? Do I look at them? Yeah. I've often like in previous relationships, like I've said something to the effect of like, I wish you could see yourself through my eyes. You know, like I think Mm-mm. a lot of women in our slash my generation like I've grown up with self-image issues guys the same women probably forced upon by a ton of like media and all of this stuff I think men also too but I think self-image is something that a lot of like women have battled with certainly like previous partners of mine have expressed that and so yeah when I look at them and I see beauty and like I see the muse and like I'm in love with somebody I'm like I wish you could see yourself through my eyes then you wouldn't be able to hurt. But I also can mm-hmm. kind of feel that same thing for myself. You know, like I'm very self-critical, especially because I have all these goals for myself, um, very aspirational. And so when I don't see the things that I want about myself, I'm pretty critical. And I think that likewise, somebody else could say something similar or maybe I'm waiting for the partner to <laughs> express that kind of same sentiment. But mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. The the mirror thing is is really powerful. And it's it's like, It's tough because it's very damning as well, right? If if you're admitting that something that hurts so, so bad is my fault, that's a tough thing to admit.
0: (laughs) I read this book after my relationship with Tyler. It was called Conscious Uncoupling, I'm pretty sure. And it was about this woman who she wrote about her marriage that ended and how she got cheated on and why she was actually at fault also. And reading that book really helped to solidify my belief in the fact that nobody is truly a victim. Like it absolutely does take two to tango and everybody does play a part in the dysfunction of whatever is happening in their life. Now, again, on paper, you can write out that specific situations you are essentially a victim to, but leading up to those situations, what role did you play in the fact that those were able to manifest? You know, it's like if you can be that brutally honest and um, unapologetic, Energetic in your pursuit to figure out what went wrong I really think you can mitigate that from happening again but it's so oh my gosh it's so wild to even think that you could play a part in what has made you be a victim if that makes sense yeah like, like a that's creator of
1: something that hurt you
0: yeah um and There were times in therapy where my therapist was like, you know, Tyler says that you don't hold yourself accountable, but I think you hold yourself way too accountable. And I had never heard anyone in my life tell me that I hold myself to be too accountable sometimes. And I do think that there's probably an extreme because, you know, if you really do fault yourself, in a way, for the way that other people treat you, I think that's like self deprecating in itself almost. Like you can never catch a break. Um, but I think kind of drawing a line between, like, okay, am I a victim? Yes or no? And what did I do in this situation? Like, what did I contribute to the downfall of my predicament? And just taking the information and hopefully making a change so that way something doesn't come about again in the future but I I also believe that things will not come into your path if they are just not in alignment with who you are anymore the only the only time I do think that can happen is if you're being tested by God or the universe so I genuinely think that if you're operating from An honest place and from a place of growth and change that you're just literally unable to attract old patterns and old situations because it's it's not your mirror it's not you anymore but I do think maybe similar things can come up to test you but then they don't continuously test you I think I think it it just ends up falling away because it, it has no place to make an appearance because you're that's just not you anymore,
1: yeah one of my one of my good friends Ash I actually had him on a previous episode of the podcast and he talks about reality as a mirror, but the mirror has a delay and the reason that it does mm. is because if it was immediate, life would be chaos. it would be like okay, I am now new Zach and new Zach is. A net worth of a hundred million dollars and he's riding around he lives in cape town and he has beautiful women around him like whatever right like we would just like zap all over the place and it would just be chaotic like we wouldn't have mm. a any sort of order to to the world and the point of the delay is to test the depth and sustain sustainability of your intention so if you can cool. hold an intention i like that of in your mind of I am attracting wealth. I am attracting a partner who serves me and is aligned with my goals and values. The The tests come until this the intention has been truly vetted, basically. And the timeline is yeah. going to be different for different things, whether it's starting a business and you're in the quote unquote trenches, as people like to say, and you're not getting <laughs> you know, the result that you want. And people people talk about like the the hockey stick effect, especially with business, like you know, it's like all this effort and then it just works. Well, that's the the delay of the mirror. It's it was already there and you're gonna get what you want, but you have to sustain the attention and do the work mm. for long enough for it to be reflected in your reality. So I liked I liked that a lot. Incredible. I I, bow, I I struggled in my mind. I was like, okay, well, If the world is a mirror and I feel so highly of myself and I have these clear intentions and I've written the goals and I have the vision board and like, all right, well, why isn't it here yet? Especially like for him, I was talking, he's like a a mentor to entrepreneurs. And so I was like, I'm, you know, building businesses and I have these goals. All right. When is it going to happen? Right. Like, where's the mirror if I have everything I need and I've been doing it for X amount of time. So it's to test the sustained depth of your intention. And I think relationships relationships it's almost like the sustained and depth of your identity not just your intention with who you want but like do you actually see yourself as valuable because you can come out of a relationship and do all this self-care and like look in the mirror and be like yes queen like i'm (laughs) i'm like not taking shit from anybody else and like i'm a high value person and you know i did my spa days and all this shit right like but like do you actually love yourself True self love, I think it's Mm -hmm. hard to chase. I recognize in myself, like, I'm trying to do the work to get there, but there's a lot of gaps I still see, like, lack in myself. And I'm overly critical and overly judgmental at times, more definitely than I would be to other people. And I think in life, you need some amount of that to be successful. But Mm -hmm. if I want to receive, like, deep, true love from other people, I have to demonstrate it.
0: Yeah, it's it's not going to be completely actualized until it's within you. And part of the caveat for that is the fact that you won't even be able to see it unless you see it within you, too. So it's not just a matter of attracting it because it's who you are, but you have to recognize it within you, too, because then you won't recognize it when it comes into your awareness.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, that is that is actually really big. Just like keep almost like the clarity of the screen, right? Like the illusion is like lifted because they, you might run across that person, but if your head's down, you'll just walk past them. Or if a business yeah. opportunity comes, you'll, it'll fil- filter through the inbox. But for some reason, if it's, if you're a, like really operating on that wavelength, it'll float to the top. It'll be very clear and it'll feel kind of natural. At least that's how it's been in the past when I felt like I'm very like, in tuned or aligned and then Mm -hmm. in moments where things have gone awry or not to plan or not as I would wish whatever um it's been more of the opposite
0: yeah when you were talking about you being critical on yourself I think that for men that's a lot more actually necessary than for women and I think I mean, I'm not a man, so I can't even say how I think any sh- anything should be. But from my observations of men and my so far understandings of them, <clears throat> I think they do thrive in a certain way, kind of as I alluded to on my last podcast, that men need strife in order to feel like they're deserving of the life that they have slash want.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And I'm glad you brought that up because it was something that definitely stuck out to me. And I think you're right. Like, because if we don't have it, you see it manifest in really toxic ways. Like, say your life is very linear, you go to a nine to five, there's not a ton of resistance, you show up, you do the work, but you're not really battling or pushing towards anything like things that the masculine spirit craves, right? Like pushing, overcoming, achieving, assertiveness you you find it in other ways and sometimes it's very toxic in like (laughs) abusive relationships but it could also be in, in more minute ways like you seek out I mean it's it's why guys will go to like drinking or gambling or being like religiously tied to a sports team you know it's just some other guy doing something but like I can thrive in like the battle of watching a sports team like us versus them something about that is deeply masculine I think yes. and calls to the spirit. And so I I agree. I think we we do thrive and are probably the masculine spirit is more broadly um at home in facing resistance because overcoming that resistance is what can make life fulfilling. And then yeah, the feminine, it's the treasure. Yeah, exactly. And then obviously the feminine is like receiving all of that energy, like all of that <laughs> overcoming and seeing somebody chasing that dream and being like wow like i want the power of that in my life as well
0: Mm -hmm. yes and if you're not actively seeking healthy challenges you're going to sabotage what you have in order to create a problem to solve because you don't have any problems to solve so so that's the line that you have to be aware of that exists is like, okay, you don't want to create unnecessary problems just for the sake of having a problem to solve. You want to create healthy problems. You want to just put yourself in the arena and it's often in business or personal development or the gym, whatever it is, it's like finding something that you know is going to challenge you and help you grow but making sure it's through an avenue of something that is beneficial for you and not destructive, as you said. And I cut you off, by the way. My apologies. No, no, you're
1: good. I think I was probably starting to lose value of what I was saying. No, no, <laughs> you no. no. A good time. Um, <laughs> but I'm I am curious now, um, in the position that you are, like also wanting to at some point like build a family, be a mother. How do you and then I guess backtracking a little bit, like more broadly, like when you want to and are a woman who like thrives in the masculine, is building businesses, enjoys the work that she does, you know, you you are impacting positively a lot of people and will continue to build that um, audience and effect mm-hmm. looking towards becoming a mother. How does that conversation look? And I guess you've pro- it, to my understanding, I've had that conversation at least twice now, were you you looking in that saying like okay I'm gonna probably back off on my business endeavors so that I can show Mm. up as a mother and I'm curious how you like play that out in your mind
0: yeah well the conversations with Tyler were not as deep in that way and I didn't even really know how I was going to operate but I've always known for myself that I'm going to help people i'm going to be in a position of power and influence in some regard and i'm always going to be working on something i don't find fulfillment in only being a a piece of the puzzle for a family and i say that as an outsider right um because when i am a mom who knows maybe i'll just be completely obsessed with being a mom but i also want to teach other women about my whole journey through that so with my last relationship because I was as I mentioned to you before coerced into an extremely feminine role he told me you don't have to work if you don't want to I can take care of us as it is and he actually in many ways preferred that I didn't really have any strong endeavors because we were molding our lives into me being a mom and or me being a wife. And then shortly after being a mom. So we were trying to figure out how I could kind of ease my way into that transition instead of I'm working, I have all this, I get pregnant. Okay. All of that's done. It's like, you have to ease your way into it. At least we thought so. And he has multiple businesses that I was helping him run. Um, just out of the fact that we were together and I'm very business minded and I have great ideas so he always confided in me with his things and so it was like I don't want to say if worse comes to worse but his businesses are exactly aligned with me and my personal brand so it it was just perfect it was like well he would say what's mine is yours and therefore I was like I would love to really put myself into his businesses and to help him build his empire which would be our empire so I thought about this in terms of okay well he wants to take care of us financially he has businesses which I can can and want to absolutely contribute to and then I also have my own endeavors Like books that I want to put out, content, things that can help other women and other people in general. So kind of the flow that we had it in seemed like it made a lot of sense. Now, there was going to be some room that would have to be made eventually for when I would have kids. But I kind of just assumed that his businesses are always going to exist and I can help when I can and and not help when I need to be elsewhere and then my personal endeavors were probably not going to be as large as his so it was like it was a lot less stress on me so the way that we had everything set up seemed pretty perfect Um, and I would definitely like to emulate that again if I have the opportunity I don't know what's going to come about with my next relationship but I will be a stay-at-home mom most likely and homeschool my kids but will have my own projects my own leadership positions and hopefully a hand in whatever my husband is doing because I I have always wanted to have a world where our family operated as a unit. So I kind of picked up on this idea from Grant Cardone and his family. Do you know who Grant Cardone is? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I just love how him, his wife Elena and their two daughters travel the world, do business together. Uh I I'm not sure if the kids go to any public school, but it seems like they're mostly taught from their parents and they go pretty much everywhere together and they learn real world skills and they have a lot of money they have they just have a lot you know obviously from the outside but i came across them probably in about 2017 and was like wow this is the ideal setup that i would like to have because i want to have the freedom to travel i want to live a life where i'm present with my husband and my kids and not one where I have a career, my husband has a career, we spend all day apart, my kids spend all day at school, we come together. And it's like, we have all separate lives. And we're together for a fraction of the time. And we're building our own separate lives for for a majority of the time elsewhere. I just never thought that that was good, especially observing my family dynamic was like, the parents just go to work to live life separately. And then the kids go to school to live life separately. That just, it makes everyone so distant from each other and also makes them grow apart in a way. Now, I do know that space is necessary. And I could also assume that the Cardones probably get cabin fever, being together a lot. Uh, They have a very unique lifestyle, not one that most people have. So I'm sure it comes with its challenges. But I've always seen myself as being in that type of life in some way. Like I want to live life with my family. So I want to do things together. I want to grow together, learn together, and to be a very strong unit. So I would either try to emulate my last relationships dynamic uh, for the most part and or create something that was even tighter.
1: Yeah. No, that, that's a really cool perspective. And I, I love the idea of like, building together. I think it's why a long term partner, it's one of the many reasons a long term partner is very interesting to me, like, someone who mm-hmm. can augment your life, right? The the concept of one plus one equals three, like you're building something greater than the two unique individual parts that can sustain themselves, but yeah, are electing to not because of some greater ability to like build together. Um I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate as say a younger female audience member and say mm-hmm. like okay you put your eggs in the basket and trusted another guy in your relationship and then the the rug proverbially is pulled out from under you to some degree like you're not like out yeah. on your own like stranded but this idea of the vision whatever you were building you put a lot of yourself into his world and then the world was taken away um, how, uh, yes, yes. How do you look at that and not? Because I'm impressed by your perspective saying, like, you're already in the place now, even with how recent it is, like saying, I want to go and replicate and emulate and improve upon this model. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. like, how you're already in that place and not maybe jaded to the f- like letting the pendulum swing back and being like, I don't right. need no man. I- I'm an independent <laughs> woman. I'm a businesswoman.
0: Well, yeah, I, I'm. I'm glad that you're bringing this up because this is one of my motivators right now for how I'm growing. How I'm growing through the situation is how can I, how can I share with women what I've gone through and how to make them not jaded? Because there have been moments where I felt that way because I literally was like very independent fifty. 50 with Tyler. And I was like, okay, well, it's probably not how I want to operate as a wife and a mom. And then I, you know, so I was standing on my own, but like standing next to Tyler. And then I got into this next relationship and I was not standing on my own. I was literally leaning and almost leaned all the way, 100% on my partner. And then, yeah, the rug got pulled. And now I'm not going to say that I have nothing, but literally the world has been flipped upside down. And it's made me think, well, hmm, how can I present to women what I think is a great model to work under? Because I have two of my closest friends. They did what I did. Uh, they met someone, they started leaning into their feminine, and they got married. Like one of my friends, she got married and is pregnant with her first kid and has the life that I was essentially getting towards. Like she has the outcome that I worked towards. So that model does exist and work where you lean on someone kind of with blind faith and it works out. Um, and then my other friend, she just got engaged and is in a similar situation. She was very masculine, had the full college experience. I dropped out of college, by the way. I didn't mention that, but I only did a couple semesters, just BS my way through classes, didn't learn much, and everything I know is on my own. But anyway, uh, my friend, she, again, met this guy si- kind of significantly older than her. He brought her out of her masculine she's become so much more healthier in every single way through being in this relationship and they just got engaged and they're getting married this year so it's like these outcomes are definitely possible but for whatever reason i have done the same thing i can't say the exact same as them but like similar model Meeting a very masculine person, leaning into the feminine, leaning into the role of literally was playing wife without the ring. And oops, it's over. (laughs) Like, And I'm 26, you know, and I can't say that there hasn't been a certain level of embarrassment and fear around this because I was in a six-year relationship before this so it's not my first rodeo and and in that relationship I thought it was going to be the one and then after that one I was like there's no way I could possibly give myself more to another man Um, and then I ended up doing that uh, and thinking this is literally it and my family thinking the same thing and my friends thinking the, the same thing and us putting actual efforts into having that outcome and then it just literally falling to the floor is like I, I think I've been put in this very unique position because I think there is something to be said about having a certain level of independence regardless of if you have the security or the safety of a masculine partner if we're speaking to the younger women I and this is what I'm trying to figure out and how to present it because one I'm I'm growing through this. I'm not going to say going. I'm growing through this. So I, I still have some insight to gain. And I, I can't fully share what I think the best route is. But from my understanding at this point in time, it's that you do need to have a level of blind faith. And you also need to have a certain level of trust in yourself and putting effort into who you are as an individual and not completely relying on an outside source but I I have to figure out the specifics of that because it can it can prevent you from fully leaning on someone if you have like one foot in one foot out because you're afraid of the carpet getting pulled from under you like it happened to me so I'm like I don't want to scare anybody but i also do want to present the fact that this is a very real thing that is possible <laughs> which i don't even want to say but i'm living proof of it so it's necessary like that is one of the silver linings i found in this situation is that i could easily tell my friends hey you know like your story is relevant and and girls should follow in what you did and it's all going to be good and it definitely can, but now I in particular have this perspective that's uh much different and it can it can enlighten people, but I, I yeah, I've gotta figure out exactly.
1: Yeah. Well I think you answered <laughs> it well and like again I, I'm very impressed that you're of your willingness to share because like there is vulnerability, there is insecurity and like you it yeah like it it matters like you want to be a mom you're 26 years old like and it, it's not even the age thing it's almost like if we just talk about the relationship whether you're 22 24 18 like roll back the clock to tyler you have the plan and then plans change yeah. and li- life throws a wrench in it for you to experience something else but i think obviously like the reason that you're going through this is to spend the time to navigate, to find the answer, to then share it with younger women so that hopefully they can experience it and also, yeah, not get jaded or scared from the option because, you know, (laughs) I do think the problem is everybody, like, experiences these things in isolation, male or female. We just, like, get in these little windows, buy in, throw the chips in, like, bet the house, and then something changes, whether it's, like, really bad and, like, it's in a toxic, abusive, somebody cheats, whatever, or just they grow apart, right? Like relationships end for a wide variety of reasons, but emotionally it can always hurt to have that whole. And so, yeah, like I think navigating and finding that answer, like it's certainly never going to be like a one word or a one sentence answer anyway. There's always going to be nuance, but sharing and finding the answer in the open is really cool and very admirable, Mm -hmm. I think, because... I don't know. I'm learning, right? Like I was curious to have this conversation because it's a perspective that I can never access. One, never being a woman, but two, <laughs> being in these relationships to like this degree of level, like I've never been planning getting married yet or like to a wedding or right. You know, like I'm, I'm just earlier in my journey. And so I'm curious yeah. and appreciative of, of learning through you. And I'm I'm certain that like, especially the younger women that follow you are,
0: Mm hmm. A hundred percent. I think, um, one of the answers to trying to mitigate this situation that I'm in is to, one would say, Oh, just vet the person better, which is like, it's tough to even say because there's like, there are relationship professionals that I, have in my network and i read from and i learn from and a lot of them talk about vetting for the right partner and noticing red flags and addressing things and etc and i again i'm in what i feel like is a unique experience and that this isn't my first rodeo and i know what it's like to get to know somebody and i lived with this person for a year or two it's not just dating and seeing each other it's working to we work for the same company we live together travel the world together like s- have a whole routine together like you really think you know somebody and i'm i'm again a very uh, well-versed person in relationships and also just with people I can read people well I'm very intuitive I've, I I know the lay of the land in many regards so there is this interesting piece of the puzzle where yeah you're supposed to vet correctly but sometimes people will put on their best suit and for a long time and it's not until some of the pieces of clothing start coming off and you see things in a different light obviously. And it's just like, wow, how do you, how do you prepare for that is, is wild. And that's going to be another piece of this that I come out with, with information on at some point is just, you definitely need to know how to vet for the right partner, but wow. How do you, how do you really do that? (laughs) I yeah. I know how to do it like I I bet that I could help a lot of people through just saying this is what you vet for but I think maybe this is like a high level of vetting that I'm gonna have to like share information on at some point when I figure it out of yeah look out for this <laughs>
1: yeah definitely oh, um, what currently are some things that you would recommend to people during like a courtship, maybe period um, when you're vetting for a partner. I, I advocate and it's something in my program with the guys that I do is I'm super big on like writing out explicitly what you want, not only out of like a partnership. So like, is this, is my intention for a long-term partner? Is my intention for a short-term partner? Is my intention mm-hmm. to, to date, to marry? Is my intention to date, to experience? Whatever it is, like whether you want high sexual access, a single partner, whatever it is, you need to know, you need to write it out. And then from there also character traits, physical attributes, like in deep, explicit detail, just so that it can be a very clear projection of your mind. And it's not just this aimless, like, oh, this is the first person that smiled at me, gave me attention. I guess we're dating. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. So the intention and knowing who you're looking for, I think is with that goes without saying is super important. But say you're into... A person you've gone on the first date, they're a non psychopath. We're going to start dating now, and there's going (laughs) to continue to pursue the path. What are things that you try to vet for um, behavioral patterns? How do you seek or keep an eye out for specific red flags? What do you look out for in your experience?
0: Mm, When I was first getting into the dating world, I guess, which was when I was around 18, I always had this rule that if a guy asked me on a date to either go to the beach or to the movies i could not take him seriously and i would even now maybe somewhat agree with that but probably not the beach one but the reason this is just the first thing that came to mind to answer your question but i'm gonna i'm gonna add others um The reason I said that is because if a guy wants to go to the movies with you, he probably doesn't want to get to know you. He wants to try to make a move on you Um, because that's a very easy place to like touch somebody you're in the dark or they're just avoidant, you know, like they're not there to understand you. This is probably better advice for like a much younger girl, because I think as an adult, This is probably not even going to be a a question. But anyway, that was why I was like, if a guy ever asked me to the movies, I just know he's not taking me seriously. Um, And then going to the beach when I was growing up, I was like, he just wants to see me in a bikini. Like he again, it's like very kind of sexual and surface level um, because he could ask me to literally do anything else like go to lunch um get a coffee you know do something where we're talking and where you're not just seeing my body half naked for the first time you know so um that was something i always had like growing up but then as i got older and realized okay there there's a lot more important things to look out for is their childhood i would just kind of get right into it if you can like oh I mean, you can ease your way into trying to figure out, like, how they actually grew up, and maybe some people won't disclose. Like, I wasn't disclosing when I was younger, but I think as the the 20-somethings listening to this, it's fair to talk about childhood stuff. Um, you obviously want to understand what their upbringing was like and their relationship with their mom and dad, especially mom, for men and women, because... I know that there's a lot of verbiage around watch out for girls with daddy issues, but people don't talk about mommy issues enough. And I have seen that that's actually a bigger problem with men and women having problems with their mom, um, which absolutely rolls into their relationship with the other women in their life. So um, figuring out relationship with mom, like how was that? Uh, How is it now? is it different? Have things changed? Is it the same? Um, Definitely getting a feel for that. And I wouldn't say letting it be a deal breaker also because most of us are not perfect and most of us don't have perfect parents. So we've probably come into contact with somebody who has a similar problem as us and they're in our peripheral so we can learn from each other. Because if I were to, for example, go on a date now with a guy and I find out he probably has mommy issues because he doesn't have a good relationship, really, relationship with his mom, for me, it's a red flag in itself because I know how bad mommy issues affect a relationship. That's been a problem in my last two relationships. But on the same token, I myself don't have the strongest relationship with my mom, so I can't. I can't really be a judge and say, oh, well, no, I'm going to discount this guy because he has something I don't want to deal with. Well, he's actually probably acting as a mirror for me if I continue to get to know him and it could be a good thing. But it's also like vetting for what do you want to deal with? Are you here to save somebody? Or, you know, it's like there's a lot of layers to it, but definitely figuring out relationship with mom or getting an idea of how that looks um seeing what their thoughts are about therapy or coaching or anything like that because i notice especially men uh are very closed off to therapy they say that it's gay they say that all it does is um what's the word enable like a lot of men see therapists as enablers for behavior and a lot of men also say that talking things out doesn't solve their problems. Doing does, which in some regards I, I agree with. But just initially trying to find out when you bring up therapy or having a mentor or having a coach or somebody that you confide in, like what is their energy around that? And a thought can be changed too. So not essentially taking what they say as fully serious but if they're just straight off the bat like oh that's so gay or whatever like if they're that closed off to it I would I would be mindful because they might have an ego problem they might uh, be very unconscious uh, I, I don't know but I personally am just turned off to anybody who like greatly denounces therapy or anything like that they don't have to go but it's just about the energy behind it um what else would i bet for well how well do they take care of themselves and this is for men or women what's their level of health look like because if they don't care and health is actually number one for me but if they don't care about their health and their well-being, they're not going to be able to fully care for yours. That's just my personal opinion because health is wealth. Health is all that you have and it's what enables you to live life. So if somebody doesn't take care of their health and they don't have to be, uh, as people on Twitter say, a Huberman type. Uh, They don't have to be a biohacker or anything to that extent, but if they're in poor health, then that means that they have low self-esteem in some way and don't care about themselves, or at least on a deep enough level, in my opinion, for them to be responsible for you and or having a family one day. So um, really understanding what their idea is around physical health and drinking smoking drugs things like that I personally think are things that should be vetted for um and I'll pause there
1: yeah no I think that's a an awesome list um health is also a huge priority and yeah it's not just for the vain aspects I mean obviously attraction and courtship like there's a minimum barrier to entry everybody has an idea in their mind of like what is and is not attractive but say you get past that point the continual willingness to Take care of yourself. I think as a man, it's like a non-negotiable you have to discipline your body rigorously. like it's like we talked about earlier, choose your struggle. It has to be training um as a part of it. but yes, that's huge um I like and now am taking much more of an intentional look at the relationships that people had growing up. just knowing now through like looking at myself and saying like, oh, why did I continually show up this way in previous relationships? It's usually related to how my parents were and showed up for me, or did sh- did or did not show up for me. And so, knowing that that is likely going to be the same case for everybody else, um, that's a, a really great thing as well. But I'm curious, I guess, maybe more into like into a relationship, how are you looking for people to show up? for you, like behaviors towards you, I guess, like a lot of what you've listed mm. thus far as like criteria characteristics, but say they check the boxes and there hasn't been kind of a warning flag to walk away. Everything seems okay. What keeps you staying with somebody?
0: What keeps me staying with somebody? Um, I think their level of dedication to being in a relationship is going to allow me to trust them because especially at the point that i'm at now is like i i've always been very serious about what i want and i am dedicated despite issues or problems that may arise um so i need i need to sense that they are serious in some regard and it doesn't have to mean that I think that we're going to get married right away or, or anything like that. But you can kind of just tell when somebody is serious about what they want. They have an idea about what they want. And even if you don't even know what the plan's going to be, or you're not completely sure about how the course looks, you know that the energy is there to make it happen. Like there's this persistence and dedication that they have. Um, you can You can just sense it from somebody, especially a man.
1: Yeah, I think if you
0: have a more specific question, like go ahead and ask because I'm not sure if I no,
1: no, no, that was that was good. I don't know that I have a a specific question. I definitely just like to hear your thoughts more broadly. Like, I do think you are blessed and like being a woman like your intuition is naturally just going to be much more finely tuned. And that's one of the things about positive or like men accessing their feminine is accessing the ability to be intuitive um and actually sense energies trust the intuition like i wrote a post about it a while back about intuition in general it's like your intuition is never wrong you either choose not to listen to it or you misinterpreted it and it's yeah a hundred percent of like You'll get the signals, you'll get the red flags, but immediately our rational brain comes on top of it and is like, no, that's not what it was or I'm just being emotional or I'm thinking this way or they didn't mean this. And you rewrite the story with your rational brain and it really matters and shows up in relationships because of like layers of infatuation, whether it's an infatuation physically or like you've written this ideal of what you and them could look like in a relationship. And so you just write off, all of these like little things that if you were to actually observe objectively on how you felt like the trust wasn't there off of the bat the vibe the energy it was not right but you chose to continue to pursue it for guys a lot of times you'll pursue it and like men will pursue it to the point where they get sexual access and then they get like clarity um but, (laughs) but even like even if you become like fall in love with a girl right like a lot of it even past the physical you start to write the story but all of my relationships that have ended you get far enough away the heartbreak is over and you're like okay there were definitely flags along the way that i chose to push away my intuition or the truth that was trying to be told to me whether it was their behavior um their energy whatever it may be it's the little things that you're just like oh they're busy they're like they they didn't mean to do this they didn't mean to say this like all of these layers and then lo and behold, the relationship doesn't work out. No surprise there. You should have just listened to your intuition. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It can be difficult, though, because you might want to look past someone's inconsistencies or make excuses for it um, or just try to figure out what's going on with them. And as time goes on, what becomes more apparent for me is that people will do what they want to do. And it sounds so simple, right? But if someone wants to call you back in a timely manner, they will. And okay. Yeah. People get busy or people go through rough patches. They don't want to talk to anyone. Well, they'll communicate it with you if they want to, right? It's not hard. It's not difficult. And as an adult, it's a no-brainer really so the more on point someone is with you um the more on point they are with themselves and so it's like then the opposite is true if they're not on point with themselves they're not going to be on point with you so you can kind of see within their actions that they're at a certain place and if it's not where you need them to be then you have to take note of it in a in a pretty literal sense especially as time goes on and the behavior is the same it's like well they're continuously choosing to be this way to do these things and if you think that oh well they're just unconscious or well it's like then why do you want to be with someone with someone like that you know like why are you making excuses for their behavior that's inconsistent with what you want or need
1: yeah, I it brings me to my, brings a quote to mind from Gandhi, which is action expresses priority. And mm. um, I have something similar, like in this like affirmation statement that I like dictate to myself every day um, on my phone. And it says, like, the actions of others will show me the truth. And it's it's one of those things that yeah. like people can say X, Y, Z. And for me, in my case, I, I have been fortunate to not be lied to a lot in relationships but a lot of times <laughs> there are instances where uh xyz behavior is happening and then i go in and write a story to justify like they're yes. still they're still a good girl they're just busy they're they're going through something they're stressed they're like home troubles whatever it is and yeah i start to go in and rationalize it and tell myself what they are or are not feeling but like the actions mm-hmm. are always the truth like if you don't yeah. get a text for a couple of weeks they're not interested like they're out they're out right like it's a couple
0: of days it is the most
1: exactly yeah and it's stuff like that where yeah there's you start to write the story in your head but and even and like like i said i haven't been lied to but if it's a more narcissistic type of partner they could come in and say like oh like i've just been busy like i've been going through whatever um or you know, I, I've been meaning to be blah blah blah. Show up in X Y Z way, but like you said, like people will do what they want. the The actions are the priority.
0: Yeah, something that I've thought about, and maybe it's a little bit too much, but it's it's been a way for me to kind of vet how people feel about me, and I've done it with work too, not just relationships, but the urgency with which someone gets back to you. Can tell a lot about how they feel about you. And I am also under the awareness of how people will kind of play games in order to seem like they're not attached. So, for example, if you don't text someone back within like three hours, sometimes they'll like do the same or they'll purposely delay texting so they don't seem like they care more than you care, which is just like, it's such a game. But something I've thought about is, Well, if I was their celebrity crush, how fast would they be getting back to me? Or like if I was a celebrity in general and I'm talking to this person to do like a business deal or for coaching or whatever it is, it's like, what's the urgency? Because if it was this person who they had a high level of respect for or they cared about, they they would be acting correctly. So it, it kind of gives me an idea in my mind of how they might feel about me. And that's not to say that, oh, like I'm a celebrity and that they should think of me in that way. But I I try to think about the motivation behind other people's urgency. And I know that a celebrity, AKA just somebody with a high level of respect for them in their mind is like, okay, if they're not showing me at least a similar sense of urgency, then I'm not a priority in some way. And it's not about being bitter about it or spiteful either. It's just giving you an idea of how important are you. And even if you're a stranger, like because there's a certain level of excitement that comes with, let's just say, having a celebrity contact as well. So even if, for example, you and I just met and you were slacking on getting back to me, it would make me think that you're not that excited about our connection or whatever it is. And so it would start to give me an idea of where you you are at and also where I'm going to place you in my life as well. Because I want people to be excited about having me in their life. I want people to value my presence that much that they're going to show us somewhat a sense of urgency I don't expect to be their number one priority I don't expect to be texted back immediately or whatever but you can just tell when you're dealing with somebody you can just feel the energy you can just feel like they care or you can just feel like they're lax and taking their time and then it's just like Nah, like if, especially in the dating pool, if you're going to put yourself out there and open yourself up to somebody, you want them to be excited pretty much immediately. And if they're not, then I would just say find someone that is or or wait until that comes around because it's it's not worth it. It's not worth like having some kind of emotional turmoil over wanting to feel important to somebody. It's like you will know.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And uh, there's definitely two things that come to mind. One is like when I reached out to you, for instance, to like ask you onto the podcast, you were super responsive. And I was like, given the fact that you're like a larger creator than I am currently, it's like, that was awesome to see. Cause I've reached out to other like larger internet people and they're like, yeah, man, I'll see if I can figure it in. And then they just like ghost you for a week. And then you follow up like, Hey, are you still interested in doing it? Oh yeah. Busy week. It's But like you know they see the DM. Everybody's on their phone all the time. Yeah. And so it was cool to see that from you. So one, kudos. But two, um, oh yeah, like it's something similar in like sales psychology and you know, starting businesses. I'm doing a sales aspect of my business, like selling myself and my like services. And so when people are when it's a question of value, um, it's it's never a question of price, right? Like people will say something like it's too expensive, um, and say you're selling something for five grand. Oh that's a lot of money mm-hmm. for me right now. But if you were getting on the call and you said, "Hey, I could get you uh one of one Ferrari for $5,000," like they would find the money. They would take out a loan, they would ask their brother, mm-hmm. they would literally be knocking down the doors to figure out how to get you that money. So it ultimately comes down to the the value in the eyes of the receiver. And so people can be very wow. much the same way. Like someone should basically be not, I don't want to use the word pe- begging, but like be basically like knocking down the walls of your world, saying like you excite me a lot. Like I would like yeah. to be a part of that. And yeah, you can like you said, you can feel it, and it it does get annoying to, in my opinion, with like the the game theory and the trickery and the push and the pull and like the not texting back too quick because you don't want to be too available. Mm-hmm. Like yes. I, I really hate that that has to be part of it because I'm a very like upfront person. And I think part of attraction, for especially like the more you learn, it becomes more clear. But I don't know. To me, I, I want to just be upfront and like available, but you can't be too available. And it's, it's a, <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think it's, I think there is validity and just being who you are and being available if you want to be available and definitely not playing the games, but creating a sense of space within any realm business or romantic relationships um purposely creating some kind of space in order to create that polarity is crucial but i think it's the amount and the way in which you do it that matters um i want to share an example of why having a sense of urgency is so important and can work in your favor because you just as you mentioned how I was very responsive and it allowed us to be here today and to just bust it out. Um, my apartment that I live in, I found it very seemingly serendipitously. Um, I was living in LA and I was driving down to Orange County to figure out A situation with my car because my lease was up. So I had to go to the dealership to figure out what the game plan was for my car to either get another car or to buy the car out. And um, my boyfriend was driving. So I was on my phone and we were um, at the time looking at places to move to also because we were staying in an Airbnb for work and we wanted to get a more solid place to live. So, I just went on Zillow because I was like, well, we haven't looked at any places in Orange County. Um, let me just see like what they have and since we're going to be down here today, maybe if there's anything that we like and that's available, we can tour it. Um, but you know, I was just trying to make the most of our time in Orange County because it was like an hour drive down, so yeah i was just trying to kill two birds with one stone if there was an opportunity anyway he's driving i'm on zillow i come across this uh this nice apartment it's within like the price range that we would want and it's in an amazing location and it was listed not even 24 hours prior and so i was like oh wow like look at this place he's like oh it's cool let's um see if they're available for a tour. I called and he said, yeah, we're available within like the next hour or so. I will give you the code to get in. You can tour it yourself and then call me back. Let me know what you think and we'll go from there. So long story short, we ended up getting the keys that day to the apartment signing done deal and the same day. And the reason why is because the property manager said you know what you called me today you were available you had a sense of urgency with the tour with getting the the bank deposit with everything and that is just so easy for me that makes things go so much smoother and it's like you wanted it you went for it today and you were available and so that's a big reason why i'm gonna yeah essentially like sign for you guys to move in here so yeah having a sense a sense of urgency really matters
1: yeah I, I completely agree something a mentor of mine preached um when like starting business and everything is like fast action like just continue to move with a sense of like acceleration and velocity towards your goals and don't worry about is it the exact right thing right now? Like analysis paralysis basically. Cause that'll hold you back from anything that you want. And I think in dating yeah. it, a great example, like for any of the younger guys listening, like don't sit there thinking, Oh, should I say something?" Like if you think a girl's pretty, just walk up and say it, like, don't be like, what should I say? Should I talk to her? Cause she'll just leave the room. Like, like your, your window of opportunity is small. <laughs> and if you don't take the opportunity to move when you have the option, it will leave you and likewise it will be reciprocated. Like I'm sure women appreciate like at least the upfrontness and like opportunity to meet somebody. Like whether you end up together, it's a fit. They think you're attractive, whatever. You'll find that out pretty damn quick, but you'll never know if you don't make the action.
0: 100%. If you approach a woman and you're assertive, she's only going to turn you down if you're, if she's not attracted to you. Otherwise she's going to, be really appreciative I mean I can't speak for everyone of course about anything but in most cases she is going to greatly appreciate that you did that and she's going to feel wanted and she's going to sense your masculine energy and that in itself is going to make her at least somewhat more attracted to you um, so yeah, the only reason she would turn you down is literally if she doesn't find you attractive at all, but even a guy, she, she finds half attractive. If he one has the balls <laughs> to go up to her and two has something to say, whether it's clever or just straight up honest, because most people are not up front, it's gonna, it's gonna open her up to you for sure.
1: I agree. So we've been going close to 3 hours here. I want to yeah. uh, respect your time uh and the audience as well. Like I think we could talk probably for a long time about a lot of different things. There's so much we haven't gone into. I'd love to do an episode just on like conspiracy stuff uh cuz okay. like I'd love I'd love to pick your brain on on that world, but I do want to be respectful of your time. So before I I have uh three questions that I typically like Ask every guest. Uh, but before okay. I go there, is there anything specifically you wanted to share um that you had wanted to come in that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet?
0: No. I I came in here without having thought at all about what we were gonna talk about. <laughs> That's how I do podcasts usually. I'm just like the energy and the thoughts are gonna come through as they're meant to. So I'll just leave that for that present moment. And there's nothing on my end.
1: Okay. Well, I love that mentality. I, I often, in the same way, and I think this conversation has flowed well. Um, I've learned a lot. Hopefully, you've taken something from it as well. Um, Absolutely. So, I I want to ask, um, and I ask this to everyone, this is going to be interesting because it's the first female perspective, but mm-hmm. in your eyes, what defines being a man?
0: Oh, wow. Okay. What defines being a man? First thing that comes to mind is... Doing what you say you're going to do, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of how you feel, regardless of anything. Doing what you say you're going to do. Um, that, first and foremost, telling the truth, no matter how hard it is, no matter how inconvenient it might seem, and no matter how much you think the other person might be hurt by it. I think the truth is the most valuable thing you can share. Um, Doing what you say you're going to do, being honest, and those those are the first two things that come to mind that are extremely important. I'm sure there's there's many others.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love the that your gut reaction was doing what you say you're going to do because that specific answer in the, both the exact same words and slightly different is very common um, across the board of like the And I love continuing to ask it because I do think that everyone delivers it slightly differently. But mm. I'm trying to consistently or land on whatever is the definition, right? Like the concept yeah. of what is a man is a little bit aqueous, but everyone in their mind, something comes to mind. And so I think the idea of control of the situation, consistency, a man of his word t- seems to consistently show up. Um, so mm. I do love that. That's and then awesome. this, the second question is if you could go back to a younger version of yourself and tell her, one thing, what would it be?
0: Tell the truth. I know honesty is like part of both questions, but um, I grew up having to be dishonest and I th- everything happens perfectly. So I can't say that the lack of honesty delayed anything. But if I was more honest, it would have propelled me forward. So I'm I'm just going to go with that and say that My upbringing forced me to be comfortable with being dishonest as a protection mechanism, but it didn't allow me to have as fulfilling relationships as I wanted to, and it hurt people, and it ultimately hurt myself. So I would say to tell the truth, yeah, as soon as possible, as soon as your awareness allows you to understand what truth really means.
1: I love that. And then finally, um, I'm a big quote person. I think the words are extremely beautiful, powerful, and shape the world around us. So what is one quote that is always stuck with you or that you try to live by?
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know what my ultimate one is, but what is coming to mind right now and is something that my dad would tell me and my brothers growing up is that perception is reality which I completely agree with whatever you believe about yourself and or the world is going to be reality because reality only exists within each of us there is no one reality there is the reality that exists within us because we're all a reflection of each other in the world so um, especially through my personal development journey i've learned that whatever i think about myself is ultimately what i'm going to think about others in the world around me so perception in that regard absolutely does mean reality
1: to me i love that um well it's been a pleasure i want to give you the opportunity now um for whatever captive audience has soldiered to 3 hours um and stuck with us <laughs> i think it's been valuable all Yay. the way through um, but I want you to give, to give you the opportunity to share how people can find you, um, what you're most excited about and working on right now, um, just a little bit about what's in your world.
0: Thank you so much. You can find me on Twitter. All of my handles are just my name, Peyton Elroy. Twitter and Instagram are where I am most. I also have a website, PeytonElroy.com. You can sign up for my newsletter on there. And I promise to only deliver good things, no junk, no spam, no BS, um, and only once a week too. So Um, on my website, also, you will find an opportunity to book a health or coaching consultation. So book that. (laughs) What am I working on right now? I am in a deep research mode, I would say. I'm going to be spending a lot of this year learning and curating a more fine understanding of the human body, of nutrition and especially the woman's reproductive system as I am as time goes on only getting closer to motherhood, I need to understand what to expect when I eventually become pregnant and then a mom. So I'm working on research, I'm working on a couple of ebooks that will be out this and next year, and also coaching, as I just mentioned before. I just recently opened that back up, so I'm having a lot of fun with that.
1: Awesome. Well, that's super exciting, and I'll make sure to include all of your contacts in the show notes and everything. Um, thank you to anyone who's made it this far. Like I said, if you want to continue to follow along with what I'm working on here and the podcast, you can follow along on Instagram at the Trivian gentlemen, uh, my personal Twitter at ZD But thank you for listening. Uh, remember your time and attention are your most valuable resources. So thank you for spending a little of them with myself and Peyton today. Memento Mori, and I will catch you on the next episode of the Vitruvian man podcast if he fails at least fails while daring great, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls
0: who know neither victory nor defeat